Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with broadcaster, runner and author, Dom Harvey. Dom Harvey, thank you so much. Oh, Maddie, thank you so much. Um, I can't believe we finally finally connect. It's like um, yeah, we we like podcasting ships in the night. Although I'm, I must admit, I feel like a little bit of a I don't know late starter or a fraudster compared to you. you you've been in the podcast game for years. Well, I've been trying for a while. That's probably uh, that's probably a better term for it. But yeah, I've sort of been trucking away for a while, but certainly not. You're probably, you'll be more experienced than me already at podcasting, I'd say. With the, you know, how many podcasts have you done now? How many episodes? Been doing one a week, so it's um, like 35 now. Since, yeah, um, I, since think, I think this is my 36th. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just, just. Well, yeah, so I guess thank you, but also thank you for having me. As yeah, We've kind of been trying to make this happen for a while, but uh, normally this is done uh, at my house, but we're, you've invited me into your living room. With uh, in your house, oh, to, it's, uh, mate, it's, it's great to finally connect, and uh, great to great to see you here. I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of your podcast, and um, uh, a big fan of you and yeah. what, what you do. Yeah, um, uh, do mutual. I get the chance to ask any questions, or is this all a one sided thing? Oh, it depends on the questions. <laughs> well, okay. Well, at the, at the moment, I'm I'm dealing with a knee issue. Like I went out for a 10k run today, and every step on that left knee, it was like a like an internal ow ow. Ow, like a like someone was gently hammering my knee with a rock hammer. Now, you had a kneecap thing. You had a situation where you had both kneecaps busted and were told you'd never run again. Now, you mentioned to me just before that you went for a run today. How? <laughs> <laughs> How did you get through the other side? Yeah, that's a long story. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can help you with your with your <laughs> knee, but yeah, it's a it's a story in itself. That one. What you you were told you wouldn't run again, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the doctor said, yeah, yeah, and it was more that just made me, I guess, inflamed my my angst or anger that I was sort of in, and decided that I would try and run a marathon. Um, when I was on the hospital bed, all dosed up on ketamine, and um, you know, didn't really think it was possible. But um, yeah, just sort of committed to it over a while. And long story short, got there in the end, and still run and running. You know, running's helped me a lot with other things. So physio, rehab, ice oh, baths, lot, cortisone, lot, lot, everything. Surgery, yeah, as, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. with the broken, yeah. So the both kneecaps are fractured, and so um, it takes a little, yeah, a lot of physio, right. a lot of stuff, but. But uh, the interesting part, you know, was the mental challenge, which you don't, uh, norm, you know, an injury, if someone is a, a um, you know, either a sports person or someone that exercises regularly is, um, you know, the mental challenge of the recovery is often far greater than the physical element. Mm. And we don't, you know, we don't even talk about it, let alone acknowledge it or even think about it. You know, you break both your kneecaps. The last thing you think of is, you know, this is going to be tough mentally. You just think, mm. gosh, my, you know, knees are sorted. So um, it was an interesting journey for sure. But, you know, I'm always, I'm always a believer in, you know, character building. And I think that you know you've you've interviewed a lot of interesting people with 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 really good stories. And I think that the people that have have been through hell have a a different perspective and a, and, and maybe even a skill set that allows them to do things that they maybe otherwise wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I'd agree. A, a skill set that they were um, forced to develop, yeah. usually through no fault of their own. Yeah. Yeah, correct. So, um, yeah, so I'm, unfortunately I probably can't help you with your, okay. your, 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 your <laughs> knee injury. Well, you're like the last three physios I've had. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's frustrating, isn't it, an injury? Like you sort of, 
does your head in, doesn't it? Oh, mate, I know what you're saying about the mental thing as well. Like it's um, it's tough. Like I'm I'm sitting on the stationary bike for an hour a day just moping. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll get there. I've said to physio, it's like, uh, you know, I've had to cancel some events. I was supposed to go to Rotorua for the marathon last weekend. I'm supposed to go to um, Stewart Island next weekend for one. And all these events are coming up on the calendar and I'm having to like dip out of them. But uh, I'm taking a more long-term approach. It's like ideally I want to be running for the next, you know, 50, uh, 20, 25 years if I'm still alive. So if I have to like scrap a few events that I was really excited about, then so be it. Yeah, yeah, that's a better way to do it. That's the you know, when you're younger, you can get away with being a bit more responsible with your body, but as we get older, you sort of start to recognise that it needs a, <laughs> it needs a bit more time. Yeah, that's so true. My my days of like charging along with um, like joint pain and saying to myself, "Pain is temporary, glorious mm-hmm. forever." They're gone. You got to listen to your body. Yeah, yeah, you did right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've actually met a few times before. I um, I worked for MediaWorks for a number of years um, down in Christchurch as well. I don't know if you remember it all. Um, I think I, I picked you up from the airport maybe when you were down for one of those like nude weddings or whatever, one of those promos. Oh, my God, it? amazing. Yeah, 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 down in Christchurch. And so um, it would have been kind of to be, you know, 12 years ago now. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, we sort of crossed paths back in the uh, – back in a, Oh, a, God, a, what a, a small world. A different, yeah, 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 it was. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yes, yeah, so I spent about – Five years, I think, with MediaWorks, um, just you know, looking after the rock in Canterbury. So a bit different to, to 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 your career in radio, and so I guess you know, like most people listening, are going to you know have a fairly good idea of of you and, and what you've done. But it'd be good to sort of paint sort of the the story a little bit of before we get into what you do now and some of the other stuff that you've got going on. Just I guess understand a little bit about. Um, you know where you came from. So, the the were you? Did you study radio out of high school? Did you? No, I I, I didn't. It was um like the the I suppose late nineteen eighties, and I went on a school field trip to um a station in Palmerston North called Two XSFM, and um, the the guy that was on here at the time. He had like a pair of Canterbury shorts on, a T-shirt, was smoking a ciggy, had a like a, a CD spinning, I guess, and. It just blew my mind because up until that point, I my perception of work is something that you did but you hated. I saw my dad every morning put a suit on and sort of grizzle as he left the house to go to work and then he'd come home and he'd be miserable at the end of the day and, you know, no one was allowed to talk to him until he'd had his first beer and had to flick through the paper. So to see this guy sitting there playing some tunes in weekend attire, it sort of blew my mind. And I thought, that is the job I want. And when I got there, I realised there's more to it than <laughs> there's more to it than just that. But that sort of planted the seed. And then um, I end up through through Palmerston North Boys High School. I end up doing, um, I think it was called like a work transition or work experience thing where one day a week um, I'd get to go into the, that very same station, 2XSFM, and just help out, file some records, basically basically make, make a piece to myself. And then... Um, uh, when I was midway through my um, seventh form year, when I was 17, um, the guy that was doing midnight to six at that same station, he got fired for um, – this is a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> doing weird uh, stuff between midnight and 6 a.m.? Yeah, so the general manager had been out at a dinner somewhere, so he came back to, I don't know, call a taxi, I guess, maybe it was pre-cell phones, and um, walked up the stairs to reception, and the midnight to six guy – had his feet dangling out of one of those um, like plaster ceiling panels, um, so he lifted it up to like climb through the roof into the prize cupboard to get compact discs or concert tickets or whatever. So he was fired on the spot. Um, I was there. I suppose they knew me. They trusted me. It was a job that, I mean, they had not a lot of money to pay, so it didn't you didn't need to be good or experienced. And they threw me in, and then um, the rest is history. 
Wow. That's and I, I was terrible at it too. I was awful, awful. Yeah. This isn't some false modesty or anything. I was, I was terrible and it was one of those things. By that point, it had been a, maybe four or five years that I decided I wanted to do this and then you start doing it and you realise, I suck. I am shit at this. <laughs> yeah, and I guess radio is one of those things, right, because because it's out there, like you record it and then you can listen to it back. You know, it's like a lot of work that you do, you know, a different, a different you know, uh, occupation, you might not, it's not as it's not as out there, right? It's like yeah, you, you yeah. finish your job, you know, if you're a, an accountant or whatever, you do your job and then it's gone. It's not like you can't listen to it every day and you're not criticised about it and you're not, you know, you're not playing it back with the programme director listening and critiquing everything you've done. So it is, a, it is certainly an out there job. Um, yeah, because that's a funny thing because like no one, no one really feels comfortable hearing back the sound of their own voice. And even if you're in radio, I think it's, I think it's no different. Obviously, you know, the, the more you are forced to do it, the more you get used to it. But I don't think there's anyone that really is that comfortable with the sound of their own voice. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely, I mean, yeah, a podcast is the same, right? It starts off being very weird. And I remember that even those first couple of years, you're like, is that how I sound? And you'd know, you'd know now anyone you, you, you interview or you talk to and they, they listen to it back and like, I can't believe my voice actually sounds like that. But over the years, I guess it does sort of, uh, you do get used to it. It gets easier. I've, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a stutterer. And uh, when I'm editing my own podcast and stuff, it's like, shit, God, I, <laughs> I struggle to get the words out. I think it's uh, my, my mouth and brain working at different speeds. Yeah. Um, so there's things that I do about myself, a lot of things that annoy me. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. And when you like, um, do you listen to your own podcasts? I, I record them, then I often forget about them, and then I'll edit them the week before they go up, just so I know exactly what's going up. So if someone messages me about it, I know what they are. Uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's clever. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't edit mine, but I'll often like, listen to it to try and it sounds like a, a yeah egotistical thing but I listen to it you know as it comes out just to um, you know hear what it's like And but sometimes I record them a wee while beforehand so it's good to refresh your brain yeah. it's the same thing but um, yeah it can be a you think you're quite a because talking's hard like you think well talking concisely right talking without you know, you listen to someone like Joe Rogan. He's an he's an ex, you know, amazing linguist. He just doesn't um uh, anything. And then you don't think you do either until you listen to yourself back and you're like <laughs> far, far out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, far out. Like you can you can hear my brain working <laughs> through the stereo. Um, but anyway, so and so you you say the rest is history, but that's a it's a it's a bit of history to unpack there. So you started off as a you know you're doing you know midnight to dawns, and then um, when did you get into the edge? So I was doing Midnight to Dawns. I, I suppose most people do that for probably like six months or eight months and then they get a promotion to the night show or they get disillusioned and do something else. Um, I was doing it like 18 months, I guess, and I was – there were other people that got promoted, like weekend staff that got promoted ahead of me to night shifts and day shifts and I just wasn't good enough. But I formed um, a really good – um, call it what you want, bond, connection, partnership with um, the guy that was doing the breakfast show at the time who actually still is now 30 – 32 years later, Mike West, um, he's still doing it. He's like the king of Palmy, and he took me under his wing and I sort of became his sidekick and so he ended up going straight from midnight to six to, to breakfast in like a, a character role. Um, and I was, Mike and I did the show together for like 10 or 11 years and he sort of taught me taught me everything I know and then, um, yeah, and then, then, I, then I worked at the, went to the edge and that was um, 2000, 2001. Wow. Yeah, so, so I've only worked at those two stations. Two jobs, yeah, wow. Um and then that was twenty years with yeah, the edge. 20, yeah, twenty years. Yeah, far out. Even though you think, I think that you know, you've so you've been in radio. What did you say? 25? 30. 30, 30 years. Yeah. Like, like how much must the industry have changed since then? You know, like even even regardless of technology, right? Just the the thing. I mean, you look at now, and like radio shows are all filmed. Mm. You know, like mm. imagine planting that idea even ten years ago. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, yeah, the social media clips and whatever else, they're, um, they're a massive, massive part of marketing a show now. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, when I started, it just, it just wasn't, even a, wasn't even a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the changes have been tremendous. In terms of the content and stuff as well, like stuff that, you know, I think about stuff that we did um, back in Palmerston North in the 90s, Mike West and I. Um, yeah, some of it just, some of it was probably okay, but you'd hear it now and you'd think, oh, that's cute. That's very 1990s sounding. Yeah. Some of it you'd be like, oh my God, that is so offensive. How did you get away with doing those accents yeah, yeah. and yeah, saying yeah, those yeah. things? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's probably the same with a lot of things though now, isn't it? You can't get away with the same yeah. thing you could, you know, a number of years ago. Um, and so you've pretty much either been doing a, a, you know, a mid-dawn shift or a breakfast shift for your entire working life. Correct, yeah, and, shift work, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or like, you know, an early, I mean, just been an early morning shift. Like, yeah. are you, like, I guess your body gets accustomed to that, but like, um, like to, to 90% of the population, you know, waking up at 4 a.m. And, and finishing work at 10 a.m. or at least on air at 10 a.m. is a bizarre thing. You yeah. know, like, you just got completely used to it. And, and how's that changed now? Has it been a weird Weird transition. Oh, Maddie, Maddie that, was a, that was a big fear. So one of my uncles, Uncle John from Levin, he was a dairy farmer. And when he retired, he was still on the, the early morning milking um, body clock shift. Um, so I, I thought that was going to be a thing for me, like I'd be institutionalised for life. Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Like last night I was in bed at, um, at 10 o'clock and um, I, I planned to get up at like 6 and maybe head out to the beach for a beach run to try my knee. Um, but I just woke up naturally at 8, so I stayed in bed till 8. So, um, yeah, I, I fell straight back into a normal, a normal routine. And it's been, it's been really nice because there's um, – one, one of the questions that breakfast radio announcers hate is, do you have another job? Because <laughs> people think, oh, you finish at 10 a.m., you could have another – and you, 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 you probably could, like, mm. technically have another job. But the, the amount of work that goes into that if you want to do it properly and do it for um, a long period of time is um, – it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a lot. It's quite substantial. And it comes at a huge personal toll as well. Like, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Some people are probably better, better at this than me, but when I was doing it, I always made sure I was in bed by 9 o'clock at night and – that meant you could never go out for dinners with people on weeknights and stuff. And it got to the point in the last five years where even if there was a concert that I really wanted to go and see on a weeknight, I, I, I just wouldn't because, you know, yeah. <laughs> I needed the sleep. I'm not a lot of fun to be around if I haven't had enough sleep. Yeah, well, I think everyone's the same. It's just a, um, it's just a, a tough thing, and it's interesting to know you just integrated straight. Like it just, you think you get accustomed to it, but you, the, the day that you're not, uh, not up at four a.m. Was it? Is that what time you used to wake up at four? Um, it was, it was four. Like I, um, and then it got later, later and later. Like in the final five years, it got later and later. Yeah. Um, like just five minutes here and there. Yeah. But um, yeah, up until about five years ago, I um, I'd get up at four, shower. Do um, twenty minutes of um, TM, which is transcendental meditation, and um, and then and then just just go to work, and then it, it just got it got harder and harder, and it was like, oh, even though I knew it was the best thing for me at that time of the morning, it was like, oh, I'm going to drop the meditation in exchange for another twenty minutes in bed. Yeah, yeah. And you still meditate? <laughs> um, not, yeah. When I was doing it, I was doing it twenty minutes twice a day, and I'm I'm out of the habit, but I um yeah, I, I should get back into it. How did you start doing that? I, I, did, I did a course. I did a course. It's like um, TM's got to be learned. Uh, it's got to be taught a certain way, and it's a bit controversial because you pay. Well, at, at the time, it was like fifteen hundred bucks, I think, to do the to do the training. And uh, some friends of mine that did other meditation, they're like, "Bro, that's not in the spirit of meditation. Like, meditation should be free to all." Blah blah blah. Get this app or read this book. Um, but I really like the idea of TM because I heard um, one of my radio idols, this guy in the states, Howard Stern. He's done it for like twenty years. Um, 
this, I heard some interviews with other celebrities like Jerry Seinfeld and Hugh Jackman, they did it. So I decided that's the one I wanted to do and I found it great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's 20 minutes twice a day, to, but it does, um, does calm your mind. Yeah. Like I found when I was doing breakfast hours in particular, the afternoon one, um, it was as beneficial as having like a, like a one hour afternoon nap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah do you, do um, you meditate? I go through stages of it, you know, like I used to do it a lot more, um, I've got two kids, two young babies now. <laughs> okay, um, that's a no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't and, do anything. Um, yeah, yeah. They they certainly um, you know provide challenges that 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 restrict time a little bit. I mean, like you can always get up earlier, and there's always time. You know, you still your your phone reminds you how long you've been on social media, and you're like, God, I could have done so much productive stuff in that time, but um, not as much anymore. But I go back to it. Like if I go through a time at work where I'm, it's really hard and I'm, my brain's just all over the show, I'll certainly go back to, you know, some form of meditation or breathing or relaxation to try and calm me down a little bit and, mm. and focus as it, it does help. But um, yeah, I didn't know you were into meditation. I didn't know that was a... Yeah, a, I, I loved it. It's one of those things I'll, I'll definitely get back to. I, yeah, I don't know why I don't know why I haven't. It's just like a habit. You get into a habit, yeah. out of a habit. But yeah. your team, team, I found it great. So you get given your own personal mantra. So there's, I don't know how, there's like 15 or 12 that they, they choose from and they just give you one and it's basically just a sound that you say to yourself over and over again. So I suppose in a way it's like a form of self-hypnosis. Yeah. But you wouldn't even, if anyone's listening to this that doesn't do it, that wants to, you could just get an app or even just shut your eyes and, you know, just be mindful with your breaths, like counting yeah. three through your nose and then th- out three through your mouth. Yeah. Do that over and over again. Yeah, Calm's a good app and there's like Headspace is a yeah. good one. There's some good places to start rather than going and jumping in and spinning. You know, a whole bunch of money <laughs> probably, on, well, on a course. Yeah, this was a while ago, so it's yeah. probably over 2K now. Yeah, yeah, yeah inflation, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, you know, with your time on the edge, um, the radio is quite interesting because it, it's it's marked, you know, each station has a, you know, a clear demograph, you know, and the edge was clearly like a, you know, a younger female audience. And as you got older, was it um, – like the things that a 20-year-old female finds funny, entertaining and relevant are different to the things that a 40-year-old male finds fun, entertaining and relevant. Mm, yeah. Like did that did did you notice a change in that or is it just so caught up in your persona and what you're doing that that, that becomes it's your job or is it or is it as you get a bit older is it still you know is there a challenge to try and relate to an audience that is a bit more distant from you now? I su- yeah, I suppose so. That's um, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, the, the thing is, I was always surrounded by 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 other people that were either the correct sex or the correct demographic. So, um, yeah. So there was there was a, the, like the content that we did. There was a number of filters that they went through. So I was I was like a, a mad um, researcher and preparer, and so I'd. I'd find a whole lot of stuff on, online that I, I, and it's always lucky that I um, quite quite liked um, pop culture, so I never found it too much of a strain. Um, so I'd find stuff, and then, you know, if the um, if the if the girls at work, you know, producers, co-hosts, whatever, were like, eh, that's not really good, then, you know, you just, I'd I'd never sort of fight it. I'd I'd you know put the ego at the door and say, okay, you you guys know better than me. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a funny thing because I I. Pop culture and being on top of all that stuff was so ingrained in me. So I did wonder how how that would be if I'd be like scrolling through Daily Mail as I lie in bed every morning, going, "Oh shit, that's a good thing to talk about." But I've managed to switch off from that completely. I I can't tell you the last time I went to TMZ or Daily Mail uh, earlier this year when one of the big pop culture moments of the year happened at the Oscars when Chris Rock slapped Will Smith. I saw it on TV and I thought, oh shit, oh that was a that wasn't a cool thing to do. Oh, that's going to be talked about tomorrow. And then I managed to switch off and get on with my life, yeah. which is probably how a, like a normal person ingests the stuff. Yeah. Whereas 
me, you know, 18 months ago, I would have been like, all oh, right, okay, shit, who can we get on? Yeah. What angles are we taking on this? Yeah. Um, and it ma- makes it a bigger thing in your life than what than, than what it is, yeah. which is which is really nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because like I know, like um, I'm good friends with like Duncan from The Rock. Oh, know? yeah. And so like Duncan Hyde, a great New Zealander. Like, absolutely. Like Phenomenal the, the, human. The, the, the epitome of, a, of an outstanding um, New Zealander. And he, um, you know, but he is The Rock. You know, isn't it? like the things that he talks about, you know, fishing and hunting and motorbikes are also the things that he does mm. for fun, you know. So I, I was just curious that, you know, from a you know male point of view, you know, and as you get older, does it um, – is it, is it a challenge? But obviously it's still work, right? You know, it's just work and you're able to engage in the content that's relevant. And Yeah, yeah. You know, I suppose if I, – yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I don't know if it's um, necessarily like the be-all and end-all. Um, in terms of like, – I, I used to really like watching David Letterman and he was like 75 or whatever. And I, I wouldn't be like, well, I'm not going to watch this guy because mm. he's 75. It's like um, like the Wiggles. Imagine if, the, if yeah. to be a Wiggle you had to be the same age yeah, as your yeah, target yeah, audience. Very good point. Yeah, very good point. <laughs> um, so I feel like it's um, – it's, what what I don't know what you're saying. You, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know. I t- you're saying totally makes sense. The Wiggles actually did an R18 show. Did you know that they came to? I went to the Wiggles. I went to the non R18 show with my daughter, but they did an R18 show. What, what was it? I like, have no idea. Like Jeff, wake the fuck up. I don't. I don't know how it happens, <laughs> but I think they just do the songs like that they. I mean, I guess there's a generation of people now that that's quite nostalgic because yeah. I don't know who knows, but maybe, uh, maybe it just means you could buy alcohol. There, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> they should sell alcohol at the to the, to the parents <laughs> at the other one. For God, yeah. oh, man, goodness me! Um, and do you miss radio? I miss aspects of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't miss the early morning starts. I don't miss the stress of um, like ratings day. Yeah. Uh, Ratings usually come out on a Thursday morning at like nine o'clock. Not not every Thursday, like every couple of months, few months, whatever. And um, there, there's so much that rides on it. And um, when everything's going really good, everyone leaves you alone. And it's like, hey, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. When everything's going going bad or you're trending down, that's when every motherfucker's got an opinion on what you're doing. That's when one of the sales reps will come in and say, hey, yeah, I'm, my daughter and her friends, they don't listen anymore and this is why. And you just have to suck it up and take it. You have to take the criticism from everyone. And often it's there's numerous factors. It's not just because of the one, two or three people on the microphone. It might be the music, might be the promotions, might just be like um, you know, seasonal flavouring in another station that's more popular than you. Yeah. So I don't miss aspects like that. What I do miss is being in a really good team. Um, when you when you do like a really really big promo promotion that you've built up for a while, and then you do it like whether it's one of those weddings that you talked about mm-hmm. before, or whatever it happens to be. Um, we did some big ones in, in Christchurch over the years, and um, you get to the you get to the end of that, and you sit down with your coworkers and you look around and go, "Fuck, that was cool! Like we nailed it!" Mm. And that's a really good that's a really good feeling. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess yeah, your, your podcast team is relatively small mm. at the moment. It doesn't have that um, you know that sort of element to it because yeah, that's fun, right? You know, achieving successes, success is best shared generally, and so um, yeah, I can imagine absolutely. Oh, another thing I don't miss. So you have consultants that are always from another country because um, people from radio in other countries always know more than people from New Zealand. So it's an American guy or an Australian guy or whatever. So this guy comes over once every six months. He'll listen to one morning of your show. Then he'll sit there with pages of notes tearing you apart. And it doesn't matter if it was like a – you might be like, well, it's a Wednesday morning. There's not a lot going on. There wasn't anything big for us to sink our teeth into. You know, mm. no one no one slapped Chris Rock yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. I can see why – and it, it, that's soul-destroying. Yeah. 
And I guess, and because it's you as well, right? Like it's like it's you know, there's so many other elements to it. It's still it's your name on the show, and it's like there's a there's a lot of one hundred percent one hundred. It's basically saying people don't like you, yeah. and we need to find out why. Yeah. And yeah. it's hard to not not to take that that person because it's not like you know your accounting work is not very good at the moment. It's it's like <laughs> you know it's like hey your personality is, is yeah. whatever it yeah. is, and it, is, it can be hard to take. Um, yeah, and, and the, the, then the the thing for me and my personality type, I'm I'm a, a, a like a bit of a perfectionist. So if if the ratings are bad, then my only solution is to well, I need to work harder. Or I need to do more, <laughs> which is not overly healthy. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's just how how I'm sort of wired. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, why did you finish up? What was the what made you decide to? I, just the time felt right. Yeah. Twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Time to do some new stuff. I, I mean, I when when you when your reason for doing it is more the money than than anything else, it's probably time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree. And you've you've sort of transitioned. Was was the idea of the podcast was that there before you left yeah, radio? Yeah, that's been there. That's been there a long time. Yeah. Um, and but it's one of those ones. I think I just never would have got around to it. I mean, you you, you do it as like a uh, like a hobby, and it's um it's bloody hard, eh? Like it, it can be as time consuming as what you want it to be. Yeah. Um, but I yeah I'm I'm really enjoying I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. You know, I miss the money, um, but I'm hoping the money will eventually come with podcasting. But I'm really enjoying having um like g- just good slowed down conversations with good people. Yeah, it's podcasting is a completely different like it almost as the opposite end of the spectrum to like mm. you know a radio, and particularly like a you know like a a pop culture radio where you know how long you might interview someone for. You know, oh. they might be there for fifteen minutes. There might be three or four minutes of audio that goes to air with them. Yeah, oh, it's a, it's quite funny. I heard, I heard um, uh, Tom Hanks do a podcast, and he he described like doing like a radio interview or a, a TV chat show interview as a performance act. He said it's not an interview, it's not a conversation, it's a performance act. Mm-hmm. It's like that they're, they're, they're going to hit you with three or four questions that probably have a joke contained. You need to come back with an answer that's probably got a joke contained and then it's done. Um, so it's a performance act or a transaction. And um, yeah, yeah, that's. I thought that was spot on the way he's, he surmised it. Yeah. So we'd have um, in radio like say five or ten minutes with Ed Sheeran and I, ideally you'll get some exclusive like he will tell you that his wife's pregnant again even though he hasn't told anyone else and then you'll make it on to like TMZ or Daily yeah, Mail. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just enjoying having these nice, you know, full conversations with people where you can actually listen and be engaged rather than be, be looking at the clock going, fuck, hurry up with your fucking answer in yeah. yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. got two more questions to get to and they're good ones. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, th- I think, um, you know, even when I, you know, I was barely in radio compared to you, but like you didn't think there was much of an appetite as far as listeners for a long-term conversation. You, th- you know, at least I thought that that's what people wanted, right? People wanted like quick bits of info and funny snippets and entertaining stories and things they hadn't heard before and then on to the song or the next interview or the next person. But, you know, what we've all sort of collectively realized I guess in the last you know maybe five seven years is that there's actually a, people actually enjoy listening to two people have a conversation for an hour for two hours for three hours mm. you know like mm. things that we never thought and you know when you come from a radio background it's probably quite a, a foreign thing or it certainly was for me yeah cause, yeah on, on a, a top 40 station I actually know probably on all music stations it's like um um 
like so you do your you do your interview with um, whoever it may be, Harry Styles, say for example. Um, I actually know that's probably a bad example because everyone loves Harry Styles. <laughs> um, so Zane from One Direction, you do an interview with him, and it's like ten minutes. And then you'll be like. You, your bosses will be like, oh, we should cut it down to four because what about the people that are listening that don't like Zane from One Direction? So things are almost cut in a negative way, worrying about people that aren't going to like it, that are going to punch out. Yeah. So everything's done that way, like, oh, are people going to punch out when they hear this song or this content, mm-hmm. or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think with podcasts, the thing that really differentiates it is you, you as a listener, you start to actually know the person. You know what I mean? After an hour you can tell like you, you, it's really hard to put on a performance like Tom Hanks described for an hour, right? You know, to be this, this really eccentric <laughs> yeah. sort of like, you know, you're eventually going to, you're going to stumble even across yourself. And oh, it would be exhausting too. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be to, so exhausting yeah, to listen to. Yeah. But I think that, you know, if you have an hour long conversation with someone, the listener actually starts to understand the person and go, mm. cool, I understand what they're saying. I, I, you know, I believe them when they say that, you know, but whereas a, a 30 or 40 second snippet taken out of context can be very, you know, yeah. misleading. Um, you know, even the, even the way you try and, we try, we try and promo our podcast, right? You, you know, you've got to take a 30-second audio clip to use on social media, but you, you try and make it as true to the conversation that you had as possible. But I think that um, that's one thing I love about the podcast yeah. is that you really get to know the person and so does the audience. Oh, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I agree, actually. I'm, I had um, um, Reese Darby on, on mine a couple of months ago and it's uh, I reckon I've interviewed him maybe 15 or 20 times over the years in radio and it's always been those shorter sort of interviews that we talk about. Um, and... This this one, I've, I felt like I finally got got past that 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 layer and that voice, where he almost had to drop his guard a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I I really I really liked the man that I saw. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, cool. It's interesting and funny. You know, fifteen times of talking to him, you don't get it, but you <laughs> one time for. How but it's long? not. But it's not the job or the space to to try and find that. Totally, either, totally. I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, and your podcast is obviously going great. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I've been. I, I was so nervous about how it's going to be received because it's like I thought anyone that just likes me from the edge might be confused by it because it, it is slightly different. I suppose it's more more real. Not that I not that I wasn't real on the edge, but it's like you have to be like a I suppose a hyper version of yourself or whatever. But um, it's a more authentic version of me and just more authentic conversations with different people. But yeah, it's going it's going really well so far. Authentic is definitely, I've listened to a number of them and, you know, one of the things I liked is almost is how sort of authentic you were at the start about, it's almost like your listeners learned how to podcast with you. You know, the way you did it. I think one line you picked up, which um, I loved was, um, you said, oh, you know, subscribe and, and review or, you know, rate and review the podcast. I don't know why, but never heard everyone else say you should do that. Yeah, they so do. They, everyone they does do. it. And I just, and I was like, that was me at the start. Like yeah. I, I didn't have the, 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 the insight to be able to, you know, recognize I was just saying it because everyone else said it, you know, and then, yeah. and then when you said that, uh, I was like, that's so true. I didn't, I said it at the start and I had no idea why, but yeah, apparently, I, I, apparently I, it helps. I, I don't know. I think as I've got older, you realize um, just how, important it is to be to be more vulnerable and it's like everyone's putting on a mask and everyone's putting on a like an act of perfection like we know everything but um we but we don't and the more you can expose that yourself and say hey listen i don't know what the fuck i'm doing here the more other people i think feel comfortable around you to go <laughs> same yeah, neither yeah, do yeah, i yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone's just winging it right yeah yeah and um <laughs> and and you've, you've started to hit some great numbers like yeah you must be really happy with the way that it's growing yeah yeah i i am i'm yeah i'm super happy with that it's um yeah it, it has been just um 
a whirlwind of a year. Like I launched in February or March. I've made a little bit of money off it so far in terms of sponsorship and stuff, but I feel like it's still a fairly new thing for a lot of businesses to get in behind. Um, but I figure if, if if the podcast is good enough for long enough and the numbers you know keep growing, then we'll get there eventually. So I've just got to be got to be patient. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's tough to be patient because again, you know, like you said, you, you went from a you know a breakfast announcer to yeah. a to a podcast, and it's um you know the the financial return is you know significantly different. Um, you know, I don't, I've never made a dime from this. You know, <laughs> I've yeah. been doing it for well, I, four I'm, or five I'm years. I'm hoping I make enough money this year to pay for the body corp in my apartment that I yeah. own. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it, it, but it's it, it's good though. And I'm I'm really enjoying it. And one one thing which I'm um. I'm kind of hoping works like numbers and money money aside. Um, I'm just hoping that uh, you know you invite people to come on, really good people, good New Zealanders, and they listen. To, they pick any previous episode to listen to, and they hear it, and they go, oh, "Okay, I, I can come on this interview. I know it's not a stitch up. I know I'm going to get a fair hearing, and and then they'll be more comfortable to do so." Whereas um, the, the stuff we did um, on the edge. You know, a lot of people were nervous to come in because they're like, "What's the, you know, the edge? That that's the mm. crazy station. Mm. Like, what are they going to do? What yeah. are they going to ask? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, am I going to have to put a blindfold on and you know put my hand in a box of cow shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't quite as bad as that. Yeah. I, no, I, no, you mean no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah, we're always like like the the, the slightly crazy station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been great to listen to. Have you? Um, do you have any favorite conversations that you've had? Any favorite guests? Oh, this is the funny thing, Maddie. Um, so I've had some really, really good high-profile people on, and they've, they've all been good interviews, like Joseph Parker and um, Jimmy Neesham, and um, yeah, we talked about Reese Darby before. But my favourites are probably actually the ones that were were didn't do as well in terms of download numbers and stuff. Like um, there's a guy that you've had on your podcast that your listeners will hopefully be aware of, um, Josh Komen, who's um, had, had leukemia a couple of times and a bunch of other health issues and has survived. And that was phenomenal. Like I, I feel like that was just a real powerful conversation. But anyone that goes to my podcast feed and scrolls through, that they're probably like, never heard of this guy. Yeah. Scroll through, oh, J- Jeremy Wells, I'll listen yeah. to that instead. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Josh Komens, they were really good and um, – uh, a couple of old guys as well. This guy Barry McGee that mm. won a bronze medal at the Rome Olympics in 1960. He's in his 80s now, and he, he was a training partner of Peter Snell and um, and um, Murray Halberg. Um, and another guy called Arch Jelly, who's 100 now, and he spoke to me when he was like 99 and three quarters. And he was the lifelong coach of John Walker. And uh, I'm sitting there having this conversation, thinking. This guy's not going to be around for that much longer. He simply isn't. You know, if he gets another five years, that's going to be remarkable. So it feels like an honour and a privilege to be able to, you know, record this conversation down and, yeah. and preserve the story. Yeah. It is a great way to look at it, you know, and, and um, you can – they live on the internet forever, right? This is for good or bad, you know, like once we put them up and as long as we don't take them down, these conversations are going to be there. Yeah, that, that's, um, what I, that's what I like about it. Like so we talked about radio before and um, whether, whether you do something good or bad, it's out there and then it's gone forever apart from the little bits that are on Instagram. Um, so it's nice to have something that's less um, less fleeting. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, you know, like I've got, um, you know, I've I've got, you know, two young daughters and, you know, they probably never will be interested. But, like, m- you know, my granddad passed away recently, you know, and I was sitting there going through old photos and I was trying to think what he was like when he was my age, when he was 20, and, like, mm. looking at these photos of him playing rugby and all this kind of stuff. And it's like I would love to listen to a podcast of my granddad when he was 25, 30, you know, like talking about his life. And so, you know, I'd, I I hope that one day, like, 
you know, it might be interesting for my kids or grandkids or whoever, someone one day to look back and go, you know, like that was dad when he was 30 or whatever, you know, like just yeah. hear how you were thinking yeah. or what you're up to. And you know, whether it's kids or family or friends or anyone, you know, it just, I think that um, it lives there forever. And maybe, I mean, maybe they'll despise it. And how old are your kids now? Uh, three and a half and one. Oh, okay. Oh, so they're still at that age where they like you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they still like you and they want to be around you. And um, you <laughs> I know. enjoy that moment. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it lasts forever. Yeah, that's for sure. And you got to no, try. there's, there's, there's. Isn't there always a period there where you're going to be the biggest dick in the world? Yeah, yeah, and that might last for thirty years. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but that's got to be heartbreaking. Eh? Oh my goodness, you know, like, and it's it's really hard trying to be. You know, you got to you're busy and there's things going on. You want to try and be present with the with the girls, but at the same time you've got to try and do other things, and you just know that. You know, one day the switch is going to flip, and they're not going to want to, you know, run and see you when you walk in the door. And you know, so yeah, you try to make the most of the time. But um, well, the, the funny thing is, I think it's just this this I don't know. I think it's the circle of life. Like even if you were the most attentive dad ever, and you dropped everything else, and you you doted on them twenty four seven, there's still going to become a point where they just want to be in their room with their device. Yeah, dad, go yeah, away. Yeah, totally. No, you did right actually. <laughs> and then you know they sort of maybe they come back full circle again, and you know, like most people do with their parents, I guess you sort of grow out of that phase and you become, you know, a, friends. Um, yeah, 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 more sort of peers again, and so maybe that'll happen. But yeah, I, I think that um, the idea of podcast sort of being out there and. Um, you also never know. It's like I also think, you know, someone like with you at your level interviewing Josh Coleman, it's like, yes, maybe people aren't going to flick through and know who he is, but one day someone will listen to that and it's almost like you're helping grow his story, his message. Mm. And not only that, those, that's a story that that other people will benefit from knowing, you know, like someone like the, the hell that he went through. You know, there's some there's some lessons in there that he's learned that can help other people. You know, and if you know if I ever you know come across someone that was struggling with a you know a, a similar illness or a similar situation, the first thing I would do would be like, hey, look, go and listen to the story about Josh. Mm. And so I think that even though they might not be the most popular episodes compared to you know a household name, it certainly is. Um, still good to have out there yeah oh he he is such a great man it's such an inspiring story it's like um it, it, no one no one gets through life scot-free like we're all going to get some shit thrown at us to some degree at some point but he just had shit thrown at him and before having the time to wipe it off more shit thrown at him yeah. and that cycle continued over and over again over so many years it's yeah uh, i mean i'm a, i'm such a big fan of josh Coman. like how how he got through all that and he's so nice and positive as well yeah, yeah, he's certainly inspirational. Um, has anyone said no to you? Um, don't, don't have to say their name, but I. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> who, who's um? Oh, uh, Gemma McCaw. I'm friends with her on Instagram, so I messaged her saying, "Hey, would you and Richie want to do one?" And she's seen the message and didn't reply. <laughs> so you can take that as a no if yeah, you want. Yeah. Um, but I think I think that's the, that's the only one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. I don't know. The, the straight road is pretty good. There's a couple of people who you go backwards and forwards, and you you, you could never tear it up for whatever yeah. reason. I suppose it's a bit of a time commitment. Yeah. Um, but no, the the straight rate's really really good. Yeah. Yeah. I was um I was when I reached out to you, I was I was slightly confident. And I was like, he'll do it because he knows what it's like to have to ask people. And like, no, I, was, yeah. I was like, you know, it is hard. I mean, I've you know, it's funny. It's it's funny. Like some people, I find that the people you least expect to say. You, you most expect to say no, end up saying yes. Like mm. Michael Hill, he just said, yep, we'll do it tomorrow, 10 a.m. I was like, 
Okay. Awesome. You know, you just say yes and, you know, you make everything, you move everything yeah. else around to do it. And uh, and then there's other people that I've been trying to lock down for, you know, they say yes and then it's hard to go back and forth for a long mm. time. And it is hard, you know, particularly, you know, um, you know, when you're in different cities or, you know, trying to make different schedules work. But um, it's a um, it's part of the process, I guess, right? It is. It's, yeah, it's, it's a learning. It's a learning. But it's um, it's a good learning. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. And what's your, what's your goal with it? Like, you know, what have you sort of, have you sat down now and gone, you know, this is where I'd like it to be or? I don't know. I, I don't really know. Like I can't, I can't give you specific goals because it's like, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know where it's going to, where it's going to take me. It's, um, you know, at the beginning, beginning of, it's called, it is still called Runners Only with Dom Harvey, but we've sort of deviated from that. Like I had Matthew Ridge on a couple of weeks ago and I don't think we talked about running at all. So I probably need to pull that back in a little bit, but I'm just, um, yeah, I'm on this journey, this path with it, and I'm not sure where it's going to end up. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm just like I do with anything in my life. I'll just, I'll try my best and work my hardest, and you know, just see where it takes me. Are yeah. you like, are you, are you a big goal setter or a planner or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but how can you like if someone said to me 15 years ago, right, you, you're going to do a podcast? I, I, you know, yeah. You just couldn't imagine how. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I, I don't know where podcasting is going to be like three years from now, five years from now. Yeah. Neither. But you know, my approach to it's a bit different. You know, like I, my my uh, cost me money to produce the episodes. I don't have sponsors. I went through a stage of trying to look for sponsors and and help, and I just found that added another level of complication to it. And um, you know, more, <laughs> welcome more, to my more, life. More, more, more work, yeah, 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 yeah. as you know. Um, and um, <laughs> you know, I, I I actually teed up with um, a company called Celebrity Speakers. I do a bit of speaking as a sort of side gig as well, and um, I teed up with them, and it worked quite well. We sort of did more of a partnership where. I would interview their speakers. They would organise everything in the background, all the logistics, times, dates, places, you know, everything. And I would just log on. I would just do the research and log on and interview them. So that was amazing. And in return, I would sort of say, you know, like if you want to listen to, if you want them to speak at your event, go and check them out. And that worked really well. Um, But, yeah, I sort of... Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, hey, would it be great if, if someone turned up and said, hey, look, we'll pay you to talk about this <laughs> I'm certainly I'm not going to say no as long as it you know aligned with what we're doing but um I am pretty I like doing it you yeah know? like it's the kind of thing that I would do if I had a million dollars turning up in my account every week you know without me having to lift a finger I'd still do the podcast mm. and that's probably a good measure for the fact that I'm doing it for the things that I enjoy yeah it's know? a hobby yeah. yeah totally and I meet you meet amazing people right mm, yeah. you know like amazing people and it's you know like you and I would have I wouldn't have it's not like I would have reached out to you and said hey mm. how are you Dom do you want to can we catch up in your living room for <laughs> you would have been like who is this weirdo block yeah you yeah know? and you have um yeah I, I I don't know maybe it's because you got a microphone in front of you but you feel like you have conversations that otherwise you just wouldn't have otherwise like yeah. if, if you were in town and you said oh let's just catch up for a coffee and you know I'll tell you a bit about myself and whatever like you just don't ask the same sort of questions. I, I don't know. Yeah, you did right. And it, I don't know what it is that changes about it. But also outside of a podcast, when was the last time you sat down and had an uninterrupted conversation for someone for more than 45 minutes or even half an hour? Like, oh, I couldn't tell you. You don't, right? I couldn't like, tell you. You don't, Never. really. Like <laughs> yeah, even if you yeah. go out for a meal, you, you know, the waitress or your phone or anything. So yeah. you enjoying your meal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How's your meal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you sort of don't get that. So the the podcast is a, um, is a lovely way to – 
to do that. And and yeah, again, surprisingly, people are still you know wanting to listen. So so I guess you're just going to see how it goes. Keep going and be consistent. And yeah, you, you showed me your studio. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of upscaling at the moment with some video gear, which is, it's it's all a little bit daunting because I'm I'm just not technically technically minded. You, you talked before about the the hassle of like approaching people for sales. So yeah, this year I've been dealing with some sales stuff. I've been learning some tech stuff, and it's just. <laughs> I'm, I'm like a deer in the headlights um, but it, I think it's good it's good to get out of that comfort zone and to learn some stuff and I'm not sure exactly where it's going to go like maybe it'll be a thing where um, doing the podcast and these conversations that I'm having with people lead to some other stuff but yeah I just don't know I just don't know what doors are around the corner yeah and it certainly has like, even for me like I've met people that have turned into business um, mm. happy on the podcast that have turned into business things and um yeah, so you never know, but it's exciting, eh? and it's, it's great. You're doing a great job, so keep it up. Oh, thanks, Matty. I, re- I really appreciate it. And uh, honestly, when I was still doing like morning radio, like I, I was always so tired and so stressed. People would ask me to go on their podcast quite often, and I'd um, oh, oh, this, it embarrasses me to say this now, but I'd, I'd ask them like what sort of download numbers they get, and if they're like, oh, I get like twenty listens a week, I'd be like, sorry, man, it's really not worth my while, and I feel like such a prick about that now now if you ask me I, don't, I won't even ask like what figures they are I just figure we're all doing this we're all on the same hustle and um, the be- also the best way to promote a podcast is by going on another podcast mm-hmm. because if someone's listening to this now mm-hmm. on your podcast they're, 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 you know, they're familiar with what podcasts are yeah. yeah that's a great way to do it and also I think you know yeah, I think it's a bit of a mindset thing that there's no just because someone else is successful doesn't mean that you can't be. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's it's not mutually exclusive. It's like you and I could both have great podcasts, or mm-hmm. who you know whoever else does it. And I think that that's one thing I love about it. It's not um, you know just the way you, you it's you know promoting someone else is 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 beneficial for everyone. Oh, I have found it such an inclusive community. It's like um. Radio was always, I think it's changing somewhat, but radio was always like real fiercely competitive. It's like if, if you work at the edge, you're supposed to hate everyone at ZM. They're the baddies. If you work at the rock, you're mm-hmm. supposed to hate everyone at Hauraki, what, what, yeah, whatever. And it's, um, you're all out there doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You're doing a job that very few other New Zealanders can understand. But podcasting, it's, it's not like that at all. I've, yeah. I've become quite good friends with, um, yeah, like Brody Kane and um, the, Tim from What a Lad and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the, the Between Two Bears guys. Yeah. And everyone's really supportive and encouraging because yeah. we're all out here trying to do the same thing. Yeah, for sure. And radio was very much like that. And the bizarre thing with radio is that more than likely in your career you're going to end up working with them at some page because, mm. you know, it's quite yeah. an incestuous yeah. career. Everyone yeah. goes around it sort of at some stage. Um, well, it's cool. Hey, we'll certainly keep up the, the podcasting work. I, w- I want to talk to you a bit about running as well because that's a that's a pretty You got the wrong guy, running. man. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a wheat pack here. I've got a physiotherapy ball. I've got a knee brace on. You want to talk about the old glory days? I'm your, I'm your guy for that, right? Well, uh, from 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 what I know, at least, it kind of appears like like you didn't like grow up running. It wasn't something that you did your entire life. Is that fair? That's um oh yes and no. My mum started running as like part of the I suppose jogging craze of the 1980s, like from Arthur Lydiard. So um, dad ran a couple of marathons very slowly, and mum ran marathons when they started to become a thing. Um, so I grew up in a household where if your mum if your mum's running marathons and you're eight or nine years old, you think, well, I can do it. <laughs> you know, it just seems it doesn't seem like a far-fetched thing. Mm. So I grew up in a running household, did a couple of events or whatever. Um, ran a bit in school, like joined Harriers, but was never good 
like I did all the training, but I was just never fast or never good. I think I was a stain on the Palmas North Boys High Harriers team. <laughs> yeah, we'd, the, the rule was if you did all the training that was required, you got to go away twice a year to the New Zealand Secondary Schools Road Race and the New Zealand Secondary Schools Cross Country. And um, the first, something like the first four or five athletes from each school, um, their places were, were accumulated for points or whatever. Um, but I, my points were never counted. I was always the slowest in our team. So eventually I got sick of that and I, I quit. And then I didn't run until I was like 30, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and why I, did you start? Because I, I was, I was um, like fat and unhealthy. And, I, you know, I'm um, – how tall are you? I feel like we're probably about the same. 6'1", yeah. 186. Yeah, about 100, 194 centimetres or whatever. So I'm, I'm quite tall and there's a lot of places when you're that tall to to hide the fat. Um but I just got to a point where I, I felt miserable and I didn't like the person I saw looking back at me in the mirror. So I started running and um, <laughs> I'd go for like a 4K run around the block. Then I'd get home, stand naked on the scales and be bitterly disappointed that I hadn't lost like 30 kilos, <laughs> uh, which is absurd. You know, you, you, you treat your body like a, like a rubbish tip for 10 years and then you expect to lose the weight. But anyway, somewhere mm. along the line, I stopped obsessing about the weight and I just started feeling good about myself from doing the running and I just fell in love with it and it's been like a, a really important cornerstone of my life ever since. Yeah. Did you, um, when you started running again, was were you changing other elements of your health as well or was it just sort of like, I'll just start running? Like, did you start changing diet and other sort of lifestyle factors or were you just like running seems fun, I'll just sort of keep that up? Not, I didn't consciously change any other things, but the the bad things you're doing, you do, I don't know, subconsciously just feel like doing them less. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You, you just, you do feel like eating eating better. If you're a smoker, you, you, you know, your urge to smoke diminishes, I think. I've never been a smoker, but that's from yeah. talking to other smokers. Um, yeah, so as you become more entrenched in it, and I suppose your, your sense of well-being, cause that, that for me is probably the main thing, the mental well-being I get from running. Um, and I think it comes from any sort of movement. Like for, for me, I found my peace in running, but, you know, for, for someone else, maybe it's squash or mm-hmm. indoor cricket or whatever. Um, but for me, it came from running. But, um, yeah, I think that just that just subliminally changes other aspects of your life. Yeah. And was there like when you started, because running sucks to start with, like, you know, oh, it's yeah, like, it it's like, it's just like, and I love about running, I've mentioned it a few times on here, but any sort of sort of semi-endurance, you know, things I, I enjoy because I find that um, particularly when you're running, there's like this one voice in one ear that's just like, your whole body is like, you know what you should do? You should stop. You should just stop because everything's hurting and I'm sore and, you know, who cares if you make it to that marker or whatever. Um, and you've got other voice in the other ear which is like you know we committed to this like let's keep going and it's sort of like a mental challenge as much Mm. as a as a physical challenge did you um you know when did you realize that you wanted to start doing like events and focusing on times and competitions and pushing yourself or was that from you mentioned being sort of a perfectionist and a and a a hard worker was that sort of if i'm going into this i'm going to do it all out? no 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 not at all i think it was um i i did a bunch of marathons and Obviously, you want to do you want to do the best. I, I don't know. I feel like you just want to do your best. You get. So I did, did my first marathon as an adult, um, the Gold Coast, and it was like three hours fifty seven or whatever. So I, I don't know. I suppose this, this makes me slightly competitively driven. Like obviously, you want to do better than what you did last time. And then um, my times got down, and then it, they got down to about sort of th- a band of like three hours fifteen, three hours twenty, and. For every marathon cycle, I'd go online, find a different program, print it out, hang it on the fridge, and try it. But regardless of what I did, my times sort of stayed the same, like around three hours, 15, three hours, 20. And then I teamed up with a coach, and um, I said, 
ultimately I'd love to break three hours, which is like the holy grail for like all weekend warriors really. It's like one of those things that's like, you, you know, it's fast, but it's not fast, fast. I suppose it's achievable fast. Um, and, and we got there in the end. Yeah, I ended up doing one at two hours 57. Wow. And then after that, like, it was a fuck ton of work. Yeah. It was a lot of work. And You're knocking an hour off a marathon time. You went from 357 yeah, to 257. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I, I sat down and did some soul searching and I thought, like, could I go faster? And the answer I came to was I probably could. And I don't know what that would look like, whether it be two hours 55 Two hours fifty, probably not. I don't, but I don't know. And I thought, would the satisfaction that lower time bring me for the work that I'd have to put in? And the mm. answer I came to was no. Every time, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, a huge uh, amount of work for a, 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 a micro, personal goal micro that means nothing yeah. to nobody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, uh, and the most soul-destroying thing is when you, I don't know, this is one for the runners only. Um, you meet someone who goes, oh, yeah, my sister ran a marathon in two hours, 50, two hours 50, so she's faster than you. And then you get to the bottom of it and it's like, oh, she did a half marathon. <laughs> so you you speak to anyone yeah. that doesn't know, know, know running or really care about running, yeah. and their friend who does the 5K walk on the day of a marathon, <laughs> they'll tell you they've done a marathon. Yeah, yeah, in 15 minutes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is yeah. infuriating for, yeah, yeah. for, for runners. They'd yeah. be like me saying, you know, oh, yeah, I play cricket, I got, a, I got 100 last week when yeah. I only got 20. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, no, my, I've done one. My, mine was 357. I, had, I was very happy. My goal was under four hours. But you, so, you did that after your, your – how did you How did you break your kneecaps? Or is, can I look this up online? No, I probably, you, probably, but no, I just – I did a I did a standing backflip. I was standing two feet on the ground, actually at MediaWorks in Christchurch, um, and um, I jumped up and I flipped over and I landed on my knees. And it was like, you know, like a corporate office building. It's like they've got – it's a concrete floor but with like you know, three or four millimetres of carpet over mm. top. And yeah, they cr- I'll show you a photo if oh, you want. Oh, fucking God. They, um, was, it, was it like Friday night drinks? Or no, was it- no, it's not even us. What were you up to? I'd been, no, I'd been going – I'd been – I found this bucket list that I had and on it there was all these things that I'd written down when I was younger that I wanted to do and I'd done heaps of them but one of the things I hadn't done was learn how to do a backflip and um, I had a friend when I was younger. It was a cool party trick by the way. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And I always promised myself I'd never do one like um, when I was drunk Um, but I never sort of thought about outside this environment and I found this like gymnastics school in Christchurch and like you could go in on like a – like a Thursday night, you know, and one of the students would open it up and you'd pay $5 and they would sort of, you'd, you'd, they just, you'd, most people just muck around. Lots of like skiers, snowboarders, wakeboarders would go in there and practice whatever. And mm. I just went along and said, I'd like to learn this. And they like taught me over about six weeks. One week I was doing them really well, got to work the next day. A few of the um, girls at work um, were just like, how's your backflip going? And I was like, oh, great. Last night, I, you know, couldn't muck one up and they were like, show us. And I was like, oh, I always said I'd never do one drunk. I said, no. They're like, go on, go on, go on. And they said, what's the worst that could happen? And I said, the, and I said the worst thing that could happen was be I'd land on my knees. And essentially what they were asking is like, are you going to break your neck and die? And I was like, well, I won't, I won't break my neck and die. I'll, I'll, I'll land on my knees. And on a gymnastics floor, landing on your knees is fine, right? Yeah, the pads. Yeah, just yeah, padded, yeah. you know. Landing on your knees on a on a concrete floor is is not fine. Um, but but a good challenge. But yeah, so. No, I, a terrible I, challenge. Well, yeah, obviously it wouldn't, I wouldn't choose to happen. But ultimately I'm really glad that it happened to me because it changed a lot of stuff but um did it like what what do you mean well my 
girlfriend at the time, you know, I, I became a pretty horrible person, you know, like I was in a wheelchair for a while and I was you, well, you're, you're just depressed and I just feeling had, sorry yeah, for you. I a huge bout of depression. Yeah. I, um, it was, I got caught up in the Christchurch earthquake quite badly as well. That was the same year. And I just had all this sort of stuff. I, you know, had a bit of PTSD from that and then the stuff with my knees and I was in a wheelchair and like I really wasn't a very nice person and she was like, well, you know, I'm not, you're not even helping yourself. Like, I'm not going to stick around. And I was like, shit. And, you know, I was like, that would make it worse. It'd be a real shitty year. Um, and, um, you know, I he managed to, you know, with, with a lot of her help, but, you know, I managed to get through everything. I probably wouldn't have started running if I didn't break my kneecaps. I, um, you know, I think there's a lot of, like I said before, skills and, and, and you know, traits that people develop when they when they go through hard things and I think that happened you know I now you know um, I'm a speaker I go to places and speak and I tell the story of what happened and that certainly would never have happened if that hadn't if I hadn't been through that so you know I, I do look at it as a you know um, define me but in a good way Mm. You know, not a bad way. And so I'm glad it happened, weirdly, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's hard to see these things when you go through them, but that's, yeah. that's the thing. You just do have to yeah. go through them and get through the other end. Yeah, but it's – um, yeah, you, you bring up the, de- the depression thing. Like it's it's tough for the partners, eh? Because uh, th- the, there's not much worse than being around someone that's fucking depressed because mm. it brings you down as well. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, yeah. And this is 2011, you know, we didn't, there wasn't the same awareness around mental health that we had yeah. now, you know, so it was, I was just a dick. That's all it was, you know, like mm. there was no, I didn't have it. It wasn't until the, until, you know, Sally said that she was, you know, had enough, but like she went to a doctor and they were like, oh, like it's obvious you've got depression. So they, they, did they check, check on antidepressants? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are you yeah. still on them to this day? No, so I was on them for uh, a few years, maybe like, three and we, we ended up going traveling and we so we after the earthquakes and my accident we sort of like you know carpe diem sort of stuff and so we left and moved to moved overseas and um i was on them for a long time and i tried to get off them quite a lot and um and each time i sort of stopped taking them i would feel the same again yeah that happens a bit yeah and so i never had much of a strategy to try and stop taking them and I just thought, well, I'll just take them because it's just the easy result. And I was traveling. It wasn't much sort of, um, you know, we were there for like four years and um, wasn't a lot of continuity in my life. We were doing mm. different things. Mm. And one day I was in France and um, I went to this French doctor to get my prescription refilled. And he was just, I was always in different places. I always had a different doctor. And he was this really sort of charismatic, like bigger than life guy. And uh, he, I said, can we get this refilled? And he's like, well, how much do you want? I was like, as much as you can give me. And he's like, well, you know, He's like, you don't need them. You stop taking them. And I was like, I've tried. And he said, um, he said, um, he said, you don't need pills. He said, you need to start exercising. <laughs> and I was like, well, were you out of shape? No, or? no, no, yeah. no. He just said, um, I mean, probably not great shape, but you know, um, but not. He, he was like, he's like, oh, I mean, it was all, it was all in this like slightly. I won't do a French accent, but it was on a, a French accent. <laughs> I think you can still do that without being cancelled. Very, bro- the- very broken sort of English. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he sort of telling me, he's like, don't you know, no pills, exercise, start running. And I was, you know, I, we lived on a yacht at the time, so there wasn't, I couldn't join a gym because we were in different places, but I could start running. So I started running. And then he just said, keep running. And the more running you do, take less pills. And so I did that. And then over the course of about three months, and I just started exercising more and more and more and uh, and taking the pills less and less and less. And eventually, you know, I would always meditate after I ran. And one day I was just like, I'm done. Mm. 
and I haven't taken another oh, one since. So and good. I haven't stopped exercising since either. Yeah, because I think there's um like percentage of the population like. Uh, I don't know, four or five percent of the population that have um, like clinical depression or bipolar or something. So they have a chemical imbalance that needs to be rectified. Um, but I think for for most people, you you probably can keep on top of your mental health by by implementing some measures, whatever it looks like for mm. you. And exercise exercise for me is definitely key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And running particularly is very meditative. I, you know, you you almost get into a bit of a you know, like whether you've got a podcast or music or nothing, I find that you can sort of, your most time can sort of melt away a little bit and you can see just thinking about thinking, you know, yeah. and um, it doesn't have to be a, meditation doesn't have to be a sit down quiet process for running's good and it worked for me, you know, and no, no, it doesn't work for everyone. Some people need mm. the medication, you're right, but have you ever had any mental health challenges? I've been I've I've been mostly pretty lucky. Like there 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 have been challenges, but it's like um when uh, JJ and I uh, were still married. JJ and I we worked for anyone that doesn't know we worked together for many many years as co-hosts on the Edge. Um, we were married. Uh, I, I had a tumor which was discovered when I was running, and it ended up you know causing fertility issues. So we went through years and years of IVF and just a, another couple of factors which sort of strained the relationship. And then she ended up with um with really bad depression. Like um she had a breakdown at work one day, and just it, we were, we went back on the air, and it's like where's where's JJ? Where's so we couldn't find her so we sent some of the girls to the toilet and she was just like crumpled up in the toilet like crying so she went home and went to bed and was in bed for like 10 days like with the blinds down and um yeah i i look back back now and like my way of treating it and i thought this was right but again we talk about how 10 years ago we knew nothing about it i'd be like come on you know i'd come and rip the blinds open after work it's a great day out there let's get outside we'll go for a walk get some fresh air get some vitamin d on you um and i realize now that that's not that's not the correct way to handle it, but it did come from a good place. But yeah, I just didn't know that. Mm. Um, so that was JJ. So when you see someone that you love like that, that's that's really it's really challenging and really tough. Um, so that's made me realise that the stuff I've been through has just been, I suppose, like circumstantial depression, depression or whatever. Yeah, you know where. Like oh, I'm a bit down in the dumps at the moment about my knee. I wouldn't say I'm depressed about it though. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been pretty lucky. Although there was an incident um, a few years ago when um, uh, a, a guy that I used to work with, and you, you'll know him as well. I won't name him, but he ended up um, taking his own taking his own life. And he was he was a larger than life guy, and he was a good guy. And I, I I'd consider him a friend, but not not a close friend. Like I I had no idea what he was going through, and I feel complete shit about this to this day. Um, but this this guy's the last person you'd expect to do something like this, and that made me think. Um, each and every one of us are, um, you know, are only one click of the fingers away from like making a permanent decision to what is a temporary problem in your yeah. life, um, and that that was probably the catalyst for me to go right. I got to fucking, I got to sort this out. I just can't, I just can't keep, um, you know, burying stuff and then charging on because I think that was my way of doing it. It's like and with with the IVF that JJ and I went through. Like, um, you'd have a failed round where, um, you know, the, you'd go through a whole thing and. It's weird, like you you know this having having two daughters. Like you you know when you get pregnant, you keep it quiet and you don't tell anyone till twelve weeks in case you lose it. When you when you're doing IVF, everyone knows your business every step of the way. You know that you have the um, the embryo implantation, and then twenty four hours later, everyone in the family group chat wants an update. And then you know seventy two hours or a hundred and whatever hours, you have to send them a message saying sorry, the embryo didn't survive. It was a failed attempt, and for 
JJ was probably real good at um, handling this in the respect that, you know, she'd grieve about it at the time and then move on. But me, I'd be like, all right, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's fucking, let's find a new <laughs> fertility clinic and try again. Like you know, the definition of madness, Einstein says, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Let's yeah. go to a new embryologist. Yeah. Um, and it w- wasn't probably until like years after all that stuff where I finally – like paused and breathed and you think, fuck, I went through a lot of shit and I just didn't even deal with it at the time. Mm. It's quite a Kiwi thing, I think, though. You know, right, is that sort of like, like you said, you know, that you come in and open the curtains and so like, let's go, let's go. Come on. That's kind of like the man up, not man up, but, you know, like. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's kind, of, kind of, of pull, up, pull up your bootstraps. Yeah, like, you know, like, it's, it's and that's kind of what we thought was the answer for, for, for things like that, but the, um yeah, I thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah. When the right thing to do would just be lie down next to her and say, "Hey, listen, yeah. I'm I'm here for you. It sucks that you're going through this, but whatever you need, you know." Absolutely, but you know, like, and and but yeah, everyone's like, "Well, there's got to be a solution somewhere. Let's go find it, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be an answer to everything." Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a weird, you know, and I think I think that yeah, you're right. You you want to make sure that. The foundation is there. I mean, we, we we do a bit of work with this charity, and it's got a it's a huge amount of young people, and it's called the Inspire Foundation, and they have a network of about three hundred different grantees now, which mm. we've funded over the years. And um, and someone came to us a couple of years ago and said, "How many suicides have you had?" And we said, "Well, you know, we said none." Like, and they said, "Oh, well, you know, you know, three hundred people under the age of twenty three, like you're statistically well overdue for a suicide." And we were sort of like what you know like and these are young ambitious people and um and last year um we did um olivia podmore i know you've spoken about mm, on some of your podcasts yeah, had eric murray on he was yeah he was a good friend of his yeah yeah so yeah, she was a grantee of ours right you know and mm. um you know like it was a you know and so and so we've we've started to try and you know it's a very generous way i'm not really involved in this process much but trying to you know, essentially strong human relationships are what people fall back on, you know, when things are hard. It's kind of what we've discovered. And and that that's likely to be you can you can develop all these like acronyms. You know, like if you if you sprain your ankle, you're like, oh rice, you know, like rest, you know, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, We yeah. were like, Oh, do we have to create something for like this? Yeah. If you encounter a mental challenge, it's you know, it's whatever and you do this. And they, they said no, because the reality is that's the you know, the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. You know, it's like we need to try and um, you know, the, the ambulance at the top of the cliff is, is developing the relationships, the skill set and the tools for the person to be able to deal with challenges when they encounter them. Because mm. you're going to, everyone encounters challenges, right? Particularly young people that are ambitious. And so, um, you know, trying to, it's genuine, strong human relationships not only help you in that situation, but also the, it's almost the meaning of life, I think, you know, like, mm. you know, the relationships you, you, you garner over the years of your life and the experiences you share together you know, ultimately end up being, you know, the things that you remember, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's everything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, they say oh, there's, a, there's a guy that I follow, and he says that you know, you know, meaningful relationships trump everything. Mm. You know, regard doesn't have to be an intimate relationship, any relationship. Yeah. And so, you know, we we want to. And there's a lot more people talking about it now, but I also think with a lot more people talking about it, there's also a lot more noise you know maybe it's not always helpful i don't know i don't know what the answer is but it's a bigger problem than you and i but i think certainly people sharing their stories and and you know a young person listening to someone that has been through something and and recognizing that hey if they went through it and you know i look up or admire them you know maybe i can get through it too yeah because i i I don't think 
I don't think anyone actually wants to take their own life. You know what I mean? Like mm. it, it just goes against everyone's natural instincts. I, I, I think it's just like um, whatever a suicidal person is going through, they just can't see the end in sight. Mm. So they want to escape that, the pain that they're in at that point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is. But I, I feel like the more talk about it, it's, 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 it's got to be a good thing. It's Correct. like yeah. I've got um, John Cohen um, on my podcast next week and it's like you think he's, he's been talking about it for 15 years. When, when he started talking about it, it was fruity. Yeah. It was a weird thing to talk about. We, we discussed that in the podcast and he said, oh, I, I didn't really want to talk about it, but my mum sort of forced me to because she said, you know, this could help change lives. But he was worried that people would think, oh, my God, that's, you know. He's a, he's a bit odd, mm. you know, a bit weak or whatever. Yeah, especially uh, from his his position, right? As a you know, as a rugby player, like strong, powerful yeah, all back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it couldn't it couldn't that couldn't be a more powerful or emphatic statement to make. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That totally. Indiscriminate, but yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, at least for for me anyway, I've, you know, with the running and exercising has has you know, and and having good, you know, you know, someone that I can say, you know, Sally, nothing's ever happened ever since. But you know, like if something was going on, I could definitely tell that I was stressed out or whatever. And so, you know, strong relationships, and then having some tools like meditation and whatever you go back to if, if things, um, yeah, to to get hard. And so, what's you know, what's your? Do you have any? further aspirations with your running or is it just sort of like, you know, keep enjoying it? Is there times or events you just want to do now? Um, there... Yeah. Oh, mainly, mainly events. I want, I want to get – I said to the physiotherapist, like she's like, oh, we'll, we'll get a cortisone shot in there and we'll get you ready for the Kepler because I'm supposed to do the Kepler challenge in December and I still hope to do that. But I said to her, ultimately, I said if I can't do the Kepler, which I got out of bed early in the morning to get my spot in because it's very hard, if I can't do that – it's not the end of the world. Ultimately, what I want is to better still be running when I'm in my seventies. Yeah, you know, I, I want a long-term solution, and I'd, I'd like to go longer as well, more more trail runs, more ultras, and things oh, like yeah. that. Have oh. you done a few ultras? No, I I did one called the Motatapu, which yep. uh, goes from um, Wanaka to Arrowtown. So like fifty-two kilometers. So I thought this is a good entry-level ultra. Ten k is more than a marathon. It's a good, good little uh, entry level one. Turns out it wasn't an entry level one. It's the steepest fucking thing I've done in my life. I was standing at the start line at like five in the morning with my head torch on, looking around, seeing all these old people, like ladies with like the the walking poles, and thinking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll beat her, beat her, beat her. And the first couple of kilometres, I was on a gravel, flat gravel road, and I was, you know, I I, I was like in, in the lead, or you know. Uh, uh, very, very close to the front. And then, as soon as it started getting steep, I was passed by just about everybody. I was, I ended up in the. It was the longest day out of my life. I was probably in the last twenty percent of the field because um, yeah. I just had no idea what to expect. So that was a very good lesson in humility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> and just basically, basically being dumb going into it. Yeah. Have you ever blown out? Um, had to stop. What do you mean, blown out? Oh, uh, I pulled out of a race. Yeah, yeah. Or like you know, just done yourself in and not being able to finish or. Now, I've always been able to finish. Yeah. Well, I had, had, during that Mototapu run, so much of it is um, cause the, 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 the field really spreads out. So, so much of it, you're running on your own and you're not sure if you're on the right track. You're looking for these, um, these uh, uh, Waratahs, metal poles mm -hmm. with orange spray paint on the top to, and you basically have to follow them. And sometimes in the tussock, they're quite hard to see. So I'm wandering along, can't see another human being in front of me, can't see another human behind me. 
I'm thinking, what am I doing? And you have like a little transponder thing that you can, there's a button you can press in case of emergency and it sends out the helicopter. But they, they let you know at the race briefing, unless you've got a broken fucking leg <laughs> or you're about to die, don't touch that button. So in my head, I'm walking along like coming up with a story about what I'm going to tell people for how I pulled out, <laughs> and then suddenly you see you see a dock hut in the in the in the horizon with some people with reflective vests and there's Coca Cola and some lollies or whatever, yeah. and you refuel and you keep going. Yeah. It's just getting through. And I, I like to think of like running, in particular those endurance events, as like a metaphor for life. Like you you have those dark patches, but you always come through the end of them. Yeah. You just have to carry on and put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, but it's very much a metaphor for our mm. life, right? You know, just. Yeah, uh, the oh, I the, especially with a marathon, I, and I always share this is, is it seems like a um, it seems like forty two k's is a is a, is a is a huge distance to try yeah. and cover, you know. But if you break it down into like just put one step, do one step, and then another one, and you you know you keep going and you implement a few things along the way, you end up getting there, you know. But it's a, it's very much a, a a very metaphorical sort of event. Um, and obviously, running's become a huge part. You've, you read a book. You wrote a book about it. You've written <laughs> yeah, three books, yeah, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. How did that come? You just run out of things to be good at, and you're like, "Oh, I'll, I'll write some books now." Oh no, the um, I, 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 I don't know. I suppose I have um some sort of self esteem issues or uh, imposter syndrome, or call it whatever you want. But uh, maybe it was the you know, the way the, the the way I was raised, or just being brought up in a small t- small town, New Zealand in the eighties. But you never sort of like want to poke your head up or say, "Oh, I can do this." Um, but the um, the publishing company Alan and Nunwin, they they came into the radio station to do an interview. We were doing an interview with an author, and the publicist said, "Oh, you should write a book." And I'm like, "Oh, I don't, I, I'm I'm not a writer." And she's like, "Oh, I'm sure you are." Like, and she said, "We should have a, have go out for lunch." So we went out for lunch, and a couple of the people from Alan and Nunwin, they 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 told me, "Oh, we think you can do it. We think you just write a couple of thousand words, and and then we'll see if if, if we can do it." And they sort of told me I could, so then I did. And then they said, oh, you should write another. After I did the first one, I said, never again. It's so much work. Um, but then they were like, they took me out for another lunch. Oh, you should write another book. You're really good. It's really good. Yeah. And they sort of helped me craft the idea of the book and mm-hmm. took it from there. So so what was the first one? The first one was first the… first one was called um, uh, Bucketless Bucket of Idiot. Was first, so yeah. it was, rather than writing like a book from start to finish that mm-hmm. flows, each chapter was sort of like an essay where mm-hmm. I just did, did a bunch of dumb shit and mm-hmm. documented it. Um, but it, yeah, it was quite well received, and that, I suppose that, and the belief of the pe- the publishers that were putting the investment, and yep. you know, that they, I thought, well, if they if they believe in me, I should believe in myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then you wrote was it childhood was childhood, in it? yeah, yeah, yeah. they were like. Uh, they said to me, oh, in your first book, you know, the bits that were real funny were the bits where you talked about, you know, like growing up and your family in the 80s. Could you write a whole book about that? And I'm sitting there going, no, I don't think I can. And they're like, we we think you can. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, where do I sign? <laughs> where do I sign for this pathetic amount of money yeah. that works out to be at an hourly rate of maybe $3? Yeah. Um, where has that, because like, you know, you sort of, there's a, you know, the bucket list of an idiot, you know, child of an idiot, like it's quite, um, I don't want to say self-deprecating, but like, you know, you sort of kind of, that's maybe your persona, but you, you know, I don't think you're that at all. And especially with your podcast now, there's that whole other side of you showing it. It's, you know, quite kind, conscientious, thoughtful, you know, like I'd say you're the furthest from an idiot that you oh, get. Thanks, yeah, but thanks. like why oh, yeah. was that, is, is that... You know, I don't know how the question is, but like it just seems like an odd sort yeah. of. I, I, I know what you mean. I suppose part of that, like, um, you know, when, when when you're on the radio, you you are playing a character to a degree. But it's like 
Michael Galvin plays a character. He's Dr. Chris Warner on Shortland Street. So there's clear differentiation. When you're on the radio, you're playing a character, but it's under your own name and you've got to wear everything you do, good or bad. And that was, I suppose, my role on the edge to be like slightly provocative or a bit of an idiot or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I suppose that's where the the, the titles came from, self-deprecating. I suppose I was listening to a podcast today with um, Lewis Capaldi, the the, you know, the yep, Scottish singer, singer yep. um, one called Diary of a CEO, which is a fabulous podcast. Yeah, and he was talking about how his self-deprecating thing and Stephen Bartlett, the guy that hosts the podcast, said, if any of my friends do too much self-deprecating talk, I, I pull them in and say, stop it, because eventually you might believe your own narrative. But I, I think maybe it's less so now, but definitely over the years in my radio career, it was a Kiwi thing. Um, like John and Ben, I think of the Kings are doing this. They're like, someone's going to tear us down. So let's get in and do it first. Let's say, let's say we're failed TV stars before anyone else can do it, which is a, it's, I don't know. It's not really a healthy way to live your life, eh? but it's, it's a, a very Kiwi, Kiwi thing. Yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah, that's Reese Darby in my chat with him. That's what he said. He said he, he, he gets torn down by other Kiwis and nobody else. Yeah, it is such a that, – that's sort of why it's kind of safe pretending or, or saying that you're not doing well or that you're stupid or that, you know, I'm only trying this for a joke or, you know, like – because it means that – it means that – not that you tried and goes yeah, for a joke. Yeah, you no, know, I know but exactly it, but, but, but it means that um, if you fail, you weren't trying. Yeah. You know, and if you weren't trying, that doesn't really matter. Like you're not – you know, you don't look stupid. Mm-hmm. And I think that's certainly something that happens with Kiwis is that we sort of, you know, like – someone trying really hard is not appreciated. You know, it's, it's better to sort of like, you know, say I'm not really putting much effort and I'm just sort of see what happens and if it goes well, then it's a surprise. If not, yeah. then I told you so. Oh, you are so right. And, and so when, when I was at school, I went to a, a like a, a very good, very well-respected New Zealand school, Palmerston North Boys High. Um, but people would call you a tryhard, and regardless of what you're doing, and I, I think back now and it's like, <laughs> trying. what's wrong with trying hard? Like trying hard should be an, like an admirable quality. Should be a compliment. Quality, yeah. But it's like, it, it's not. And I, um, yeah, I remember I, I, a few weeks ago I went on a podcast with um, Kimberly Crossman who's done a bit of acting and stuff and I remember I, I first met her like 10 years ago when she was on Shortland Street and she was trying to branch out from her Shortland Street character and create a brand for herself and she had her own embossed stationery, she had like pens which she'd give to people. I remember even making jokes on the radio show at the time about you know how weird it was and I look back now and it was it wasn't weird at all and it shouldn't have been I, I feel embarrassed about my actions like sort of calling her out about it what she was doing was being proactive to create mm-hmm. this brand outside of a Shortland Street character which um, has proved very successful to this day but yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a strange thing isn't it it's a strange thing I I think um, I've done more reflection over the you know since I've had my mornings back and my life back and uh, yeah definitely more aware of who I am and what I am and what I stand for yeah, and to take that narrative away from other people and go, well, no, I'm, you know, I'm not actually an idiot. I can be an idiot, but I'm not yeah. an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, which is a cool thing. And that was just, I just thought, you know, I was listening to <laughs> yeah, your podcast yeah. and I was looking at your book titles and I was going, it doesn't line up here. But um, yeah, again, I think that the whole tall poppy thing, I think it's, it's rife in Australia as much as New Zealand. And, and that's one thing that, um, you know, I find that foreign people recognize about New Zealand, which is sad, you know, like they recognize that there's a, a culture of, of not celebrating other people's success rather than it's easier to try and, you know, mock them or make them mock themselves to... <laughs> Yeah, it is weird. Eh? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know where that stems from. Yeah, there's and there's other things as well. Like just not being, especially I think this is like Kiwi males, just not being able to have open, open conversations, which people in you know other, other European countries in particular are very good at. Yeah, expressing. Have you have you ever you you you've been to therapy or anything like that? 
No. After how did, the, how did uh, you get through the, the earthquake stuff? After it's, uh, the earthquake, yeah. Um, my Sorry, I'm um, hijacking your podcast No, 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 it's here. good. I think the conversations well, are yeah. interesting, right? And well, I, well, can, can I hijack some of your backstory for anyone that maybe doesn't doesn't know you? So you, what what was the building? So there was you were you were in the the, the heart of the CBD during the earthquakes, and uh, one of the buildings that collapsed. Like you, you, you ran towards it when. Uh, I think human instinct, and most people probably don't know whether they'd be someone that leans in or leans out until it happens, but you you ran towards it and you were there for a couple of hours pulling people out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that it in a nutshell? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and um, – but I was like 23 or 20, 24 maybe, you know, like it was sort of – I didn't even think that anything happened. You know, I was just, just like, oh, like I got – I remember I got home, went back to Sally's parents' house because our house was flooded and went back to her house and um, – like, you know, they still didn't know what was happening and it was still just like maybe it was the same as the the one that we had in September. And I was just like, I'd seen some pretty crazy stuff. And oh, I was, so September was the nighttime one? Yeah, uh, September, no, September was the uh, yeah, the nighttime one where no one died. Yeah, like a yeah. few chimneys got knocked yeah, down yeah, but everyone was yeah, fine. Yeah, I remember putting up a post. Like I had a bookshelf and like three books fell off and I, and I took a photo of it and posted it on Instagram and I was like, earthquake carnage, you know, like <laughs> as a joke, you know, like no idea, yeah. you know. And then so the, a lot of people still thought that was the case. And so I remember getting back to Sally's house about 9 o'clock at night and I was just like, that's fucked. You know, like some of the stuff I'd seen, and um, luckily, my Sally's dad um, recognised that. You know, I probably saw some crazy stuff, and a, a good family friend of theirs is a guy called Gilbert Anoka, who's the oh, the um, mental, he's yeah, a real estate the, guy and a mental yeah, skills coach for yeah, the All Blacks, correct? Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, uh, the next morning at about nine a.m., Gilbert walked into the living room and sat down and looked at me and said, "You've seen some fucked up shit." And then I just burst into tears, and I didn't even know like what was. Um, I've never shared that story, like it's. it's but I've never. Um, I didn't even know anything was up, you know. And then, um, and I was just saying about all the stuff that I'd seen, and um, yeah, it was just a, a very, you know, I didn't even, and you know, but then it sort of, you know, he told me to write some things down, and he tried to help me with some, you know, a few sort of tools to help, you know, and then probably telling, um, you know, my family to. You know, these are things that could help. And it was re- he was great. Like it was – I really – he – the stuff that he said that day to me probably allowed that event not to really like take a – be quite a big significant yeah. thing in my life, which it is a significant event. But like on the podcast I've interviewed um, – a, a lady that was caught in the building that I was in helping, you know, so she was, our stories are from the other other side. She was trapped and she got mm. freed. I didn't free her, but someone else did. And I was from the other side. So that was quite an interesting conversation, but it's a, um, yeah, it was a, a crazy day. And I think, um, you know, not something that anyone was prepared for. And No, but also from, I mean, I, I suppose it's an instinct thing. So it's something that you didn't think about, but it's like when something like this happens, there's, um, yeah, uh, it's interesting. So, say the earthquake happened now, and you were in town, uh, knowing that you've got like two young daughters at home, would you would you stick around or would you no, be like later? No, very different, you know. And I've yeah. thought about that a lot, you know. Like, and, and so that's why at the time I was angry at other people for not doing the same. You mm-hmm. know, like I remember um, very senior person at work. You know, like he was. He didn't even check to see if everyone was out. He was driving out of the car park when I walked out of the building and I was so angry at that. And then um, 
but now I, I I met a police officer. I was like when I first went out, I was there was just it was pandemonium. I met a police lady and she was standing in the intersection trying to control pandemonium and I was like can I help what should I do and she was like can you try and get hold of my daughter's daycare I haven't I don't know if it's still standing up I don't know if she's alive and there's I just oh, it makes God. me almost uh, you know like it's um yeah, I suppose you can you can look at it through a different lens now because now uh, you know like she was just out she was trying to help everyone else and <laughs> do, do her job yeah, yeah. and then she not, just failed to do her job as a mum yeah and so like Absolutely. It got the guilt. Must yeah, you know, like so absolutely now, like there was not an ounce of me that would, you know, do begrudge anyone then. For, whatever. For, 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 you know, everyone, it's, you know, it's, it was purely survival, you know, and, and I was very lucky that I'd spoken to mum who'd spoken to my sister and my grandparents. I was with Sally because we worked together. Um, I knew pretty much very quickly that my immediate circle was pretty safe and I was young and I thought I could do something, whereas, you know, like certainly if I, you know, if I didn't know if my child's daycare was was okay, I would not be mucking around in town, you know. Yeah. So a different thing. But, you know, again, one of those things that I don't – I'm glad I, we got to be part of it in a weird way because it helps people, helps, you know, I'm better because of it. Mm. So, um, yeah, just one of those – you know, the, the challenge we have I think now is most bad things you go through at some stage in your life you can look back and see a good part of it, recognize that it was – you're better off now because of, for whatever reason, the challenge is trying to see that at the time. Well, often it's impossible, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and and you, you mentioned um, Gilbert and Oka before. Uh, I heard Ross Taylor on a podcast uh, maybe a couple of months ago. He, he put a book out and um, when he was going through that captaincy thing, I can't remember, I'm not huge on cricket, but I think he was captain and then he was unceremoniously dumped for Brendan McCullum and it was a big public thing and it was embarrassing and humiliating, but he couldn't do anything about it. And Gilbert and Oka said to him at the time, Ross, just remember at the end of your career, this will be a good chapter in a book. And I suppose what he was saying is um, at, at – Right now it might feel like the end of the world or this is all consuming, but at the end of the day it's like four pages, four good pages that's going to help sell a book. Yeah. It's not going to define you. Yeah. It's uh, one one chapter of the whole massive Ross Taylor story. Yeah, totally. You know, and I think that, um, you know, too often we often you know, we ignore those parts, you know, and, and, and just try to gloss over the good stuff mm. to the good stuff. But I think that um, – yeah, if you can try and maybe not, I can't say you're going to look, you know, go through an earthquake and or an accident or whatever it is or losing someone and 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 to say, hey, this is going to be great one day. Like, but I think that if you can, you know, approach challenging situations with the mindset that, you know, you can learn something from this, that maybe that's more productive than going into it thinking that this is going to ruin me. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Mm. Yeah, um, Nikki Kay, the former um, National Party deputy leader, I had her on the podcast and we talked in uh, quite a bit of detail about her breast cancer and she said it's the most harrowing, horrific thing she went through but it's also the best thing. And I asked her to elaborate and she said, oh, it just like bought bought her closer, you know, it sort of brought her closer with re relationships that were already close but I suppose when something like that happens, it, you know, People let their guard down and say things that otherwise they wouldn't say. So yeah. just um, so the breast cancer took away a lot of stuff, but it also like brought in a lot of stuff as well. And I suppose it's just being able to see that. Yeah, and you reflect and you look back on it, and you realise that you know 
good things came of it. And, what, and what's, what was the good that you got from well, Christchurch? Again, I think it's the same sort of thing. And, and it's hard to say that earthquake was a good thing at all. But I think that, you know, there's the the things, the skills and, and traits that you develop after seeing the stuff that happens is grows you as a human, you know, like and, and um, a lot of people go through things. And I think that if you can, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to define your life in a negative way. It can be, mm. you know, I, I, when I talk, I talk about, um, you know, overcoming obstacles and challenges is, is becomes a bit of armor you get to wear that you take forward with you, you know, and if you, you think about that as another bit of armor on you, you know, to cover you, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, whether it's a skill set or a trait or a experience you now have to help yourself conquer further challenges, see life differently, appreciate things differently, enjoy the moment, enjoy the things you do have. Like all that stuff's positive. And I think that comes from sometimes from dealing things with dealing with things that aren't always. Yeah. We, were you and I know there, there are heaps of other people as well in Christchurch that did the same as you, like ran in rather than running out. Um, were, you, were you ever acknowledged in like some sort of like public council ceremony or was there anything like that? I suppose it was all yeah. such a crazy time that it was not even a, not even a thing. But it's quite um yeah I don't know it was quite, it's quite a heroic thing. Was, what you, not just you, but yeah. a lot of people did. It was um it was a bizarre. So one of the guys I worked with, I think you know, do you know Dan Mack? He worked at the yeah, yeah, yeah. Denimal. Yeah, Denimal. So so him and I ran in together. It was him and I together. We stole hard hats and vests and tools and, and ran in. We got separated about halfway through, but um we so I spent a bit of time with him and um. And the only thing that made me, because when we were in the building, it was like people that were there was like it was no, there was no search and rescue people. There was no mm. dogs. There was no tools. It was there was like one fireman and like eight normal random guys, you know, like me. And then like there were road workers and builders and people just trying to help. And um, and so it was all. And then you just walked off afterwards. You just literally just climbed out in the fire truck and we just walked off into this dark city and drove home. And I've never seen anyone from that day. And and um, and I went to the one year, I don't want to say commemoration, memorial. Right. They had this massive thing in Hagley Park and I think like Prince William was there and it was like quite a big sort of event and I went along to it. And um, they started to recognize, they recognized some people, a lot of like um, search and rescue people and, and trained people. And I certainly wasn't, I didn't want to take away from that because, you know, they did amazing stuff as well, but I didn't see anyone up there that that I saw on the day, you know, and and it's not anyone's fault, but I've kind of not got over it now, but it doesn't affect me anymore. But at the time I was really upset because I was like, you know, I saw people literally, nobody's just random strangers risking their lives, like absolutely like 100% could have died and if, if, you know, something had happened, you know, gone left yeah. instead of right. And, or a, um, an aftershock or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the numerous things could have happened. You, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they were nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard of. And um, you know, I got I've you know got over it. But at the time, I remember thinking like, I was so disappointed that no one else. I didn't see any of that. And um, I sort of, you know, had this because some people I know. A lady in Christchurch did a, a newspaper article on about the fourth or fifth anniversary and she had read my story because I wrote a blog about it. I was just writing blogs at the time and so I wrote about it and she read it and, and was like, holy shit, can you 
will you let me share some of it and with in combination with other people? And so they did. And um, she tried, the other guy in the story, um, a guy called Michael, got recognized um, for the things that he did, which was mm. which is great and he completely deserves it. And um, and she tried really hard to to get them to, to recognize me and other people and other things as well. And um, they said it had been too... Too long or, or whatever. Right. Which I didn't, and honestly, it's not. I don't. I wouldn't. I, I. I don't even think I would accept recognition because um, I would only accept it as uh, on behalf of everyone because that was really what there was. Just mm. and it was just mm. weird. And it sounds a bit weird to say. Like it's like it's not a no one. I know it sounds stupid. Like yeah. no one does any of that for recognition <laughs> or yeah, yeah. you know, like it's 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 ridiculous. But the, it just stuck with me because I I saw people do things that hundred percent risk their life in the hope that they could help save a stranger. And they were rec- and some people got recognized for it and some people didn't. And didn't well, it wasn't about me. It was just about some of those yeah. other guys that I saw. And so it was a weird, a weird, weird day and it's you know certainly a part of me now, but um it's uh it, it, oh yeah, I mean, shit! It fucked a lot of people up. Yeah, yeah. 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 You, you were telling me you and your you and your wife you went overseas for a few years after that. My my brother, he was the same. He moved to Perth after that. Like, um, yeah. There's, there's a, so how many? What year was the earthquake? Twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. So ten. So if you're like, yeah, if you're like fifteen, sixteen now, you you were like school age at the time. Like mentally, how like how are yeah. these? Yeah. How are these teens? Yeah, totally. That's a. Uh, um, was it? And also the life afterwards. It was so mm-hmm. different in Christchurch. You know, like schools weren't there. You know, like there was a there's a generation of people that grew up without a city in Christchurch, without a proper mm-hmm. stadium, without um, yeah, swimming complexes, whatever. Even yeah. without bars, without nightclubs, yeah, without yeah. you know, like the town wasn't there anymore afterwards. So just um, the, just the Irish rebuilders with all their venereal diseases. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that a thing? Yeah, I think I think it was certainly an influx of um, of, um, of of builders and uh, and and well, you know that we needed them right you know and and you take every element of um what they bring and um there still yeah. is you know there's still so much construction there yeah. but um it, oh yeah and buildings that are yet to be demolished it's, i know it's, it's bizarre crazy. You know, it's like a, they've only just made a, a you know a, a decision about the stadium right mm. you know it's it's 12 11 years yeah. ago now. like it's crazy it takes long to get these things done yeah. but it's um yeah like so i was i was living in auckland at that time and um it's funny it's i suppose it's just the media cycle but things move on like i remember John Campbell had a TV show called Campbell Live, and he 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 was like a dog with a bone with Christchurch for a while about people still being in Portaloo six months on whatever. But then, in terms of like ratings and stuff, the rest of the country moves on. Like, oh, we're sick of hearing about Christchurch. Mm. But you guys are living with it on a day to day basis, mm. and for us, it's like, oh, can't give us something else. Yeah, yeah, and that's a lot of people like your brother and like us. We left, you know, yeah. like it just there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of things for youngish people to be to be engaged with. We thought about moving to Auckland. I got offered a job up here at Media. Works and we thought about it and decided to yeah go to Greece instead yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a bit more <laughs> why true. wouldn't yeah 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 when you look at it like that probably but um, <laughs> but um, but yeah it was a it's still a you know it's yeah. a significant part of our history and, and my history and a lot of the yeah lot of the well I mean listen us here sitting on my sofa doing a podcast it's no handshake from Bob Parker um, <laughs> but I'd like to acknowledge yeah. you it's something I think of all the time I remember there was a clip on the news that they played over and over again of some um some big moldy dude like lifting a big concrete brick off a road and getting someone out and he, he was almost Thorish um, so that was the clip that got played over and over again but I, I often think um, I thought at the time, and I often think to this day, 
if I was there, like what sort of character would I be? Would I be a person that runs in or would I be a person that, that runs away? And you just don't know until you're in that situation. Yeah. And everyone's different and everyone's, yes. you know, there's, there's a lot of other circumstantial um, uh, things for consideration. Like, you know, like I said, I'd be different if I had a daughter and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, anyway, I didn't mean to <laughs> taking up your time talking about uh, no, my buddy story. But, um, no, that's a, sure, it's a hell of a thing to live through. And it's not just, yeah, not just you. I mean, yeah, uh, there were like hundreds of people that lost family members, so I'm sure it still cuts deep to this day. And yeah, just everyone in that city, actually. Yeah, it's a lot to it's a lot to process. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Um, but you know, again, I, I think that you know when I start to see, I look at the city that's being developed, you know, and I think that my daughters are going to grow up in an excellent city, you mm. know, uh, uh, with with amazing infrastructure and you know, with things that they can do and and things that places they can go that that wouldn't have been there if the earthquake hadn't happened. Mm. So, um, it's an exciting place to be. Yeah, for sure. Moving forward, um, and you know, what about you in the in the future? Obviously, you'll keep the podcast going. Mm. Or, um, you'll you'll keep running. Yeah, anything else in the pipeline? Um, no, that's that's just oh, I'm um, I'm starting to do a bit of volunteer work. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It's, I, I don't know why it's taken me so long because I, I, I finished up um, on morning radio like maybe fifteen months ago. Did a bit of travel at the end of last year, and this year I've been focusing on the podcast. And I was talking to um, a friend about it, and it's like. The, the reason none of us volunteer is because you never have time. You're busy doing your own shit. And I, I sort of don't have an excuse now. So, um, What have you been doing? Well, I'm, I'm starting helping out with the, um, the Auckland City Mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to start volunteering with them and, yeah, uh, like sort of give back because I'm in a, a position where I can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've got an induction thing tomorrow. So I can't, I can't get the plaudits for it now. <laughs> but the, in, the, in, the induction thing's tomorrow. So, yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be like quite a humbling sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, but also rewarding as well. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah like... absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to that. But, yeah, the podcast is keeping me busy enough. My knee is is really fucking with my mindset at the moment. I'm finding that really tough. Um, but it's um, the, the the good learning from it, from a perspective of being injured at the moment and being unable to run, is probably how much I've been taking my body for granted in terms of like strength and conditioning training. So I realize now moving forward um, that if I want to keep running pain-free for until my last breath, then I'm going to need to do these other things, which I don't enjoy doing as much as running. Yeah, gym like, work. And- yeah, gym and stretching and yeah. all the essential things. Yeah, yeah, that'll certainly help. Mm. Um, I, I, you always finish your podcast with a couple of questions and one about mental health which I like and we've yeah. sort of talked about that already um, I finished mine with a couple and and one is um, is what are you most proud of you know like we've we've talked about a lot of things and you know significant events in your life um, and you know you've done some pretty amazing things you know like both in a in a professional sense but also in a, in a personal sense and you know when you look back you know at the position you are now when you sort of you know reflect on you know, your life so far. Is there anything that stands out that you're you're proud of or really proud of? Um oh God, this <laughs> uh, this is probably really cheesy, but it's um it's probably um my re- relationship or friendship that I have with um JJ to this day. We 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 broke up five years ago and we we're still we're still like best friends and she's you know uh, I don't know. For a lot of things, I was still write write her down as my emergency contact person, and I'm really proud of that relationship. Um, 
Yeah, we went through we we went through so much together. Like um, we worked together for many many years doing those breakfast radio hours. And if I, when I look back and reflect on that, um, I my priority was probably more the job than our relationship. So you find that you're sitting at home in the evening on the sofa and something will come up on Celebrity Treasure Island or whatever and I'll be like, oh shit, we should talk about that tomorrow. So you're having a work meeting all the way around the clock. Um, so that relationship broke up and that's my my fault, I think, if I look if I look back. JJ, would she wouldn't, if she was sitting here, she'd say, no, no, it takes two, blah, blah, blah. But I was had a single-minded driven focus to be successful on the radio and that came at a cost of that relationship. And... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm embarrassed about that now, but I'm just so grateful for uh, what it has evolved in and what we have now. Um, I'm sorry, that's a real cheesy answer. But no, it's not at all. Would you do anything differently? Like, you know, you said that it's evolved to be something that's really important and special that you're proud of now. You know, like we can't change the past and sometimes it's a good thing, right? But yeah. it's exactly what I've been saying. You know, you're like, how did the earthquake make things? Yeah. You know? And I'd say, like, would you, are you, are you I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're happy with the way things have have turned out, but would you do anything differently? If you yeah, oh, hundred percent. I'd, I'd realise now, and I'd say this to any young person that's getting married. It's like me and JJ wore it as a badge of honour that we never argued. We're like, oh, we're not really an arguing couple. Um, but I think sometimes in relationships, you need to probably have like tough discussions. And um, I've realised now, with the benefit of hindsight, age, and wisdom, that. Um, like a relationship is like a plant. Like you, once you get married, that's not that's not like you're standing on the surfboard and you're just cruising into shore. That's when you got to start paddling like a motherfucker and make things work. Yeah. <laughs> and you need to constantly work at it. Yeah. And um, yeah, we just didn't didn't put the work in, and there were some other factors that you know that that went on. That's you know mm. that wore us both down. But um, for what it is now, to still have her in my life, like yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm so proud of our relationship. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's really cool, and you know, uh, uh, probably unusual. You know, you know, like the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, no, one, no one, no one understands. Yeah, it, yeah, but it's like yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's something special you've got, and yeah, you can't take that away. And, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm always there, there for her, and she's always there for me. And she, she does so much for me. And I feel like some days it's like I don't know what what value I add to her life. So I, I just try extra hard. So if I'm going for a long run, I'll drop this um this dog that's next to me. Um, round to her, and I'll always make sure I take her a coffee or a croissant or something. I just I try and be um, the best friend that I can be with yeah. um, with what I can do. Yeah. <laughs> and whenever there's a computer reboot problem, I go around to her and she sorts that out. <laughs> <laughs> IT support as well. <laughs> yeah, she is. No, she's she's great. She's wonderful, and I'm um, I'm incredibly lucky to still have her in my life. Yeah, um, oh, that's a great great to hear. Yeah. Um, and my last question is, um, is what do you wish people knew? You know, what do you wish everyone knew? Like you've done some things and you've been some places and you've had a, you know, a hell of a life to date. And, you know, is there, is there some bit of wisdom or knowledge or it might, it might, it might not be wisdom, it might be entertainment, it might be funny, it might be whatever, but, mm. you know, that you think that if, if everyone was going to, you know, the whole planet was going to listen to the next 30 seconds of this conversation, what would you say? Awesome. Uh, Oh, I don't. I don't really know. I'm all, God, if, after years of being in radio, you think I'd be be good at being put on the spot and coming out with an answer. I, I, this is something I still try and tell myself. Um, actually, probably more so now than ever that I'm doing the podcast thing, is um, just um, relax, be patient, and trust the process. And everything in life will work out the way it's meant to work out. Um, it's hard though because I'm, yeah, I'm probably like you, Matty. I, you know, I, like, I plan things a little bit and I like to look forward and I like to know where things are going and you like to know you're on the right track. Um, but you just need to trust, trust the process and trust that if you keep, keep working and putting one foot in front of the other, it's going to work out the way it's supposed to work out. Yeah. Even though sometimes it seems like, 
how is this part of the course? Didn't sign <laughs> hey, up for this. Yeah. <laughs> what? What is this? Yeah. But I don't know. That's sorry. That's probably a real shit answer. It's not a shit answer you, at all. You, you'll huh? be, mate, you'll, you'll be five minutes away from the airport in your Uber, and I'll be like, "Oh, Maddie, Maddie, I've, I've got it." <laughs> no, no, I think it is. A, it is a great answer, and um, yeah, it's kind of like a lot of what we've been talking about. Yeah, you know, that you just you know, put one foot in front of the other, and, and it's you know, it's what you did with your radio career, and that worked out fantastic. And you know, it's what you're doing with the podcast now. And if you if you carry on as you've started, and with the with the mindset and the sort of work ethic you've got, I've I've no doubt that in uh, you know in years to come that um, you know your success will only continue in that in that realm as well. Oh, thanks. I, I appreciate that. I feel like the only the only real. Um real um attribute i've got is um the ability and willingness to work hard you know so there's, there's a saying that's used a lot in sport that um hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard um so i, I never had any natural talent in radio or anything but yeah I, I just just worked hard as we said before like when the ratings were shit i'd be like well i just got to work harder and i don't know where that mentality comes from probably my parents in some way i Probably need more therapy, therapy to <laughs> peel back the layers on that yeah. one, um, but yeah, that, that's all I've got. But it's um, served me okay so far, and everything I've done. I think I think that's that's a synonymous trait with anyone that's been successful. You know, my podcast is called The Road to Success. We don't always talk about that, but I, I, anyone that that you talk to that's had an element of success, whether a, it's a, a you know a, you know in a sporting field, or it's in a, a commercial role, or it's in a you know a financial you know man, it doesn't really matter. It's, there's a you know, uh, one trait that tends to be, you know, reoccur very frequently mm -hmm. or almost uh, certainly it's the fact that, you know, they're going to work hard, you yeah. know, and you can't really skirt around the fact that if you don't put in a lot of effort that um, you don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, that's good to hear. Yeah, some people seem to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some people just seem to be yeah. winging it. Eh? But well, really good, good people make it look easy, and I think <laughs> that's the thing, right? You know, like, and even yeah. at running, you know, you look at that that. Elliot Kachobi guy, you know, you watch him run and it, it looks like, you know, he's, he's, you know, running eight minute Ks, you know, and then you, mm. you, you see someone in the background trying to keep up with them and they're on a bike and they're oh, still, yeah. you know, and I think that's good, good, good people that are talented and good, you know, they make things look easy, but it's, it's not easy and mm. it hasn't been easy for them to be able to get there. Yeah, that's, that's probably fair. Like you watch the, um, like the Dan Carter movie and, uh, you know, you, you hear old coaches saying he was always the first to training and the mm. last to leave and same with Michael Jordan and people like that. So I suppose, yeah, everyone, even, even people that seem naturally talented, yeah. they have to do that, do yeah. that mahi. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's kind of what gets you naturally talented almost, I think, so... Anyway, Dom, I'm really appreciative of your time. Quickly, we you know obviously, um, you know, where can people find you, follow you, reach out, listen to your podcast? Um, on Instagram, Dom Harvey NZ. Uh, on email, Dom Harvey NZ at gmail.com. Or wherever you're listening to Maddie's podcast, if you search Dom Harvey, yeah, you'll find it there. But thanks, man. Thanks so much for your time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too. It's um, it's been tremendous. I'm, it's taken a long time, and I, I appreciate you you making the time, and I uh, appreciate you hosting me. And yeah, house to oh, do no, this. no, I, I'm um, I'm so grateful that we waited until we could do it face to face. Like we've been trying to tee this up for a while. There's a lot lot of people that do podcasts, and they're like, eh, even people in Auckland, I'll be like, I'll come around to your house, and they're like, no, nah, we'll just do it on Zoom. But um, I, I feel face to face. You have so much better conversations with people than. If I'm, if we were doing this on on Zoom, I'd be, um, <laughs> I'd have my phone in one hand. You'd be, you'd be seeing my attention diverted all the way through it. Yeah. But I haven't. It's been like an what an hour and a half or whatever, and I haven't looked yeah, at my phone. An hour once. and forty five minutes so wow. far. So yeah, I'm very appreciative of you, of you making the time, and I agree. I'm glad we waited, and I'm glad our, our paths crossed paths again. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Can I give you a ride to the airport now? You, you used to give me <laughs> rides from the airport in a 
<laughs> no, uh, marked station uh, vehicle. Yeah. No, I've, I've, uh, I'm, I've, it's very kind of you, very, very kind. But you've got a dog on your lap now that would be livid if you, uh, if you left, I'm sure. So, yeah. Dom Harvey, thank you so much. Thanks, Matty. Really appreciate your time. And there we go, Dom Harvey. Man, what a cool guy he is. Such an experienced broadcaster as well, I think. <laughs> I think he asked me just as many questions as, as I asked him in there as well. And um, But such a nice guy, and it was such a cool conversation. We, it was, I think it's the longest podcast I've ever done, um, but it was just um, you know such an organic conversation, and it's always a sign of a, a, a good podcast if it just sort of flows, and it really did. So I'm hugely grateful for Dom for making the time and, and inviting me into his home, legitimately record that in his living room. Um, so he's really kind and generous with his time. And again, if you haven't checked out his podcast, wherever you're listening to this right now, just head to uh, you know the search bar and type in Dom Harvey and you'll find his podcast there as well. So huge thanks to Dom and a huge thanks as always to you. I, I literally don't get to have these conversations if people like you don't listen. I love having these conversations. So it means the world to me uh, that you are listening in. You know, I think I've alluded to it a couple of times before, but um, these that cost me money to do this. Um, you know, obviously the hosting and then getting edited and, and making it sound like it does, um, and I cover the cost of that through my speaking. So. Look, if anyone that you know, an organization, team, event, conference that's coming up that, that needs a speaker, um, then please jump online and check out mattylovell.com. You can find out all the information there or just flick me a message um, online and all the usual places um, and we can begin to talk about how that might work. Um, other than that, if you did enjoy today's episode, if you could leave a rating um, on Spotify or a review on Apple Podcasts, that does help the podcast grow and, uh, and again, does mean the world to me. It means I get to have more conversations and I get to do this more often. So um, you can alternatively, you can just tell someone to go and check out the Road to Success podcast, Spotify or Apple. And again, it just helps it grow. So thank you again so much to Dom. Thank you so much to you. Until next time, love you. See ya. Bye.